Welcome back into Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. This is Josh, and welcome to Draft Week. We have made it. Finally. It's been a long, long journey, but we are finally here. Luca, how you doing tonight? Every week I've been saying how excited I am about it. Uh, this is the week where I'm I'm ready to, for it to be over. I I am I am just oversaturated and information overload. Just let's get this draft over with, please. I'm definitely with you. I I've said it to you off air before we got on here that I am in a mental pretzel right now where everything that comes out, whether it's from Ian Rappaport, Joe Biscaglia, or uh, Matt Perino or Chris Sims. It's like, what does this mean? What does that mean? Do the Bills want us to think that this means a certain thing so they can do something else? Does Benjamin Albright know what the Bills are going to do? I am just all over the place. But there's just something about once you step your foot into draft week, when you wake up on that Monday morning when the draft is on Thursday, it just feels different. Like the weeks leading up, it's like, okay, we're two weeks away. We're getting there. We're three weeks away. We're getting there. But that Monday morning, it's like, we are here. We are coming up on the finish line. And I've already, you know, started planning out the menu for Thursday. Got some family coming over. My nephew, who I talked about a couple episodes ago. And I do this every year. I watch Draft Day. Luke, are you a Draft Day guy? Have you seen that movie? I've actually never seen it in my life. I, uh, one of these days, I will see it and I'll watch it and everything. You know, I have nothing against any of it. I just honestly have never gotten around to seeing it. Okay, so it's definitely not in the conversation of like best sports movie of all time, which I mean, for the tenor of this podcast, let's just call a timeout right there. What is your favorite sports movie of all time? Ooh, I mean, Miracle. That That's mm-hmm. basically, I mean, that one gives me chills every time you, have, of course, have the uh, pregame, you know, playing the Soviets speech, you know, oh my goodness, just you want to get me hyped up. That's, that's going to do it. Miracle's number one. Number two is probably Caddyshack, just mm-hmm. to put it on a totally different basis there. But uh yeah, I mean, hey, if I watch Draft Day and it, you know, deserves a top three nod, we'll see. I never got that vibe from it via, no. you know, via everything else, but I feel like enough. If if you're telling me that you like to watch it annually getting into the draft, it's probably worth my time at least. So just real quick, mine would be Remember the Titans. It just, to me, everything about that movie works and it's football. It's just oh, my yeah. kind of movie. And then Denzel Washington, it, it's hard to think of a movie that he could be in that I wouldn't like. And then just for nostalgia, Growing up, my dad loved the movie Major League, and so Mm. every time I watch it, it, there's a nostalgia piece to there. So what Draft Day to me is, it reminds me a lot of like Christmas movies, where when you look at the Christmas movies in a vacuum, like if you were just watching them in March or April, they'd be like, oh, this is kind of cheesy. But there's just something about in November or December, you're in that Christmas spirit. You're kind of thinking about like, oh, Christmas is right around the corner, and you're in that mood, and all the songs are going on. And the cheesy Christmas movies kind of hit the spot. I don't know if draft day would hit the same in like June or July or November, but man, the week before the draft, it, it hits the spot. So I, I, it's definitely not going to make my top three all time in sports movies, but I like watching it once a year. So highly recommend you get into that. And, um, I highly recommend you guys listening to this show tonight. Just be patient with us because I am going to warn you. I am all over the place right now. I have been, taking in as much Bill's information as I can. I already said I was in that mental pretzel and we're recording this on Tuesday night. And by the time you listen to this, which is either going to be Wednesday, Thursday, you know, if it's after Thursday, then you'll know what the bills do. I may change my mind four times on what I want the bills to do. That's where I'm at right now. It's the anxiety. It's, it's just your mind going places that you don't want it to. And I fall for it every year. Luca have, are you, you're kind of young for this, but are you a Charlie Brown person? Are you familiar with that? 
I am a little young, but I definitely watched my fair share of Charlie Brown. Absolutely. So there's a sequence in Charlie Brown where Lucy, the character that is Charlie Brown's friend, but she's kind of mean to him. She holds the football for him Mm -hmm. and he's like, this time I'm going to kick the football all the way to the moon. And then he runs up and tries to kick it and he misses the ball because she pulls it away and he falls on his head. And then she convinces him like, no, 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 Charlie Brown, try to kick it this time. I'm not going to pull it away. And then the next time he runs up and she pulls it away and he falls on his head. And it's like, Charlie Brown, how many times are you going to fall for that? Well, right now I am Charlie Brown because at the end of every draft season last year included, I was like, oh my God. I literally spent two months of my life looking at Travis Etienne and Najee Harris and the cornerbacks like Greg Newsome and the Bills picked Gregory Rousseau, a guy who wasn't even really on my radar until Mar- Marcel Luis Jacques picked him in the ESPN Nation NFL mock draft. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I wonder if he knows something. And it just makes you re- remember that everything that comes out during draft season, particularly in this last week, could and probably is smokescreen and Luca, we are going to do our best tonight to try to navigate through some of the smokescreen because we have quite a bit to get into as we move along. Yeah, I mean, as as a lot of people say, you know, generally where there's smoke, there's fire, but it's all about where is the fire being built and, and uh, is it your concern? So I'm looking forward to diving into it. So before we get into the draft process, we uh, we do have some current Bills players news to get into Luca, no surprise today, the Bills announced that they have, in fact, picked up the fifth-year option on Ed Oliver. Uh, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. This was just a matter of when, not if. But um, one thing that was interesting to me is I went back and looked at the percentages of first-round picks that have had their fifth-year options picked up. And for the most part, it's anywhere from 10 to 15 players every draft don't get it picked up. So like going back to Shaq Lawson's draft class, he didn't get it picked up. Well, when you look at when McDermott came in in 2017 and Bean a couple months after that, so like the McBean era really was that 2017 draft where they got Trey White. They are four for four with first round draft picks getting picked up. And if you figure that on average, the league has 35 to 40% of first round draft picks not getting their option picked up. We're living a really good life right now in Buffalo when you look at like Tredavious White, Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, and Ed Oliver. Say what you want to about Tremaine Edmonds. There was a time in our lives as Bills fans during the drought that a Pro Bowl linebacker who was there multiple times over would have been probably the best player on the team. And now we're nitpicking if whether or not he's worth that. It's sometimes you have to take a step back and just realize how good we have it because it's not going to be this good forever. We are riding a high right now that 20 to 25 other fan bases can only dream of. And Luca, I, for whatever reason, when he got that option picked up today and realized that McBean has gone four for four with options getting picked up this, how lucky we are right now as bills fans. Yeah. Lucky is definitely the best way to put it. I mean, when you really put it in perspective of four for four, every first round pick we've had has been essentially a hit or at least worth your time to pay them that extra year on the rookie contract because you definitely want to keep them around especially at that rate they know what they're doing i mean they they understand how to find great value at wherever they've been picking whether they've traded up or traded down to do so whatever it may be they know exactly what they're doing in that front office and mcbean as a team just keeps finding winners and hey We love that. We love to win. 
And the thing about the draft is you have to remember nobody bats a hundred or a thousand, the the saying in baseball, nobody bats a thousand. And right now, as far as first round picks go, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are essentially batting a thousand. If your worst player is Tremaine Edmonds, then you've had nothing but hits. Tremaine Edmonds is a hit. He may not be the home run we thought we were getting, but he's definitely a hit. So if you're an odds player, you realize that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Greg Russo. It looked promising his first year. We're definitely not calling that a hit after year one, but it's obviously too early to call it a hit or a miss. Talk to us again in a couple of years. The time is coming probably where Bean is going to miss on a first round pick. And tonight we're going to get into like, oh, position value. Should they take a running back? Should they take an interior offensive line where five years from now, when it comes time to sign that player to an extended offer, is that really a position you value enough to sign a second contract to, or are you just taking a one contract player? The reality of the situation is probably 15, 16 of these guys taken on Thursday are going to wash out of the league, disappoint, and just be somebody that teams look back on and say, man, we took this guy when we could have taken this guy in the third round. So we're sitting here two days before the draft thinking we have all the answers of who's good and who's not. And the truth is we learn it every year. We really don't know anything. Situation dictates a lot, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. We're lucky we don't have to worry about quarterback. But speaking of McBean, Luca, both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean were in front of microphones this week as typical Sean McDermott fashion. You didn't get a whole lot. He's not, he's pretty savvy with the media. He's not going to give you anything as far as Intel, as far as what they're doing with the draft. One thing I took away from both of their press conferences though, was I did not get the impression that either one of them were in a hurry to um, look at Jordan Proyer's contract demands and, and do anything with it prior to the draft. Yeah, I mean, I think it was in Brandon Bean's press conference when someone had brought up Poyer. He he refused to kind of talk about it beyond the fact of they do, you know, the Bills do business their way and he respects how players do their business. He's not going to hate on anyone. He's not going to make it a problem of his and he's not going to make it a problem of theirs. But he would not talk down about the player himself and respects Poyer and everything like that. You know, it's it's not an immediate priority, but it's nothing to do with the player himself or anything with, you know, what he's made public. And I think, honestly, that's a great stand, you know, stance to be at with Brandon Bean. I, I think as an organization, that's perfect. You know, you don't you, you, as much as you might love a guy, you, you have a way you do things and you run business a certain way and you don't really bend it for anyone. Maybe you bend it just a fraction for, say, a guy like Josh Allen. But luckily, we don't have to deal with that anytime soon. But as much as you may love Poyer and as much as you want to get him in the building and around the room as soon as possible, being that this is, you know, voluntary to begin with to be here at this point in time. And it's, you know, he still respects him as a player. It's just that he wants to keep doing business the way he's found it to be successful at this point in time. And he respects, though, at the same time, how Poyer and his representation wants to handle their business. One thing I took away from Bean's comments on Poyer was he said something along the lines of there are other guys here that also want to get paid. And just because the Jordan Poyer camp, and when we say his camp, we mean Drew Rosenhaus going to the athletic and other national reporters saying that he wants an extension. He wants to stay in Buffalo, but he wants an extension. And you know, you have to include Rachel Bush in Jordan Poyer's camp. It's his wife, for God's sake. She's on Twitter every other hour either condescending Bills fans or saying that, hey, you guys wanted Stefan Diggs here, but now you don't want Poyer. And it's just, you know, it, it is what it is in that scenario. That's not going to go away. 
But just because there's a lot of noise coming from the Jordan Boyer camp, and this is just an example, I haven't heard any of this, but like if Dawson Knox is wanting an extension he's, and he's just doing it under the table and not, not through the media and just trying to you know say, hey, I'd like to get something done. I'm going to my last year of my deal. Devin Singletary, same thing. Just because Jordan Poyer right now, his camp is the squeakiest wheel doesn't mean you want to prioritize him. And I don't blame Brandon Bean for slow playing this. You don't know what the draft is going to bring. Um, we're going to talk about it tonight. There are some scenarios where the the Bills could have a premier safety fall within range of them where they could go up and get him. And all of a sudden, maybe you don't feel the urgency to extend a player who's going to be 32 at the end of this season. So there's a lot of scenarios to get into. I don't think the Bills are in a situation right now, especially before the draft, where they should have to do anything with Jordan Poyer. And I think this is going to be one that definitely uh, warrants watching as it gets closer to training camp because he was a no-show for voluntary OTAs, which who cares? I think Diggs wasn't there. I don't even know if Isaiah McKenzie was there, to be honest. That is what it is. It's not that big of a deal. QB1 was there, and he had a really cool quote about how it's not like I feel like I have to be here, but I do want to be here. That was pretty neat to see. Um, so yeah, we'll keep eyes on the Jordan Poyer situation. I think there could be some clarity on what direction that's going after the draft plays out. If the Bills do something at the safety position on day one or day two, that could tell us a lot about what they think about the future of the safety position and whether or not Jordan Poyer is in those plans beyond the 2022 season. Um, the other piece of Bills news, Luca, is um, you know, off the field, unfortunately, uh, Von Miller is being sued right now by an ex-girlfriend. Um, not really comfortable talking about what's going on there. It's just some inappropriate um, actions towards her. And we don't really know what's going to happen there. So it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, it could definitely be something where a suspension happens. Um, and beyond that, Luca, I'll let you say your piece on this too, but we would just be guessing at this point, trying to outline what kind of suspension that could be. Yeah. I, I don't want to touch on it too much myself as well. You know, it's obviously a sensitive subject when it comes to whatever may be happening or has happened, uh, with Von Miller and an ex, um, you know, that's, that's not our place to discuss anything. I think we both acknowledge that, you know, could he then be facing suspension and everything that comes with a football thing? Whereas that secondary, when it comes to life, you know, that's something that we definitely need to keep in the back of our mind. Like you said, um, I definitely could see it. I, I just, you know, we need to obviously get a full understanding of what had taken place. We need to see how the legal action and everything and all that situation works itself out. Um, hopefully, you know, as, as well as it should and everything processes itself, not, you know, necessarily in the favor of anyone specifically, just hopefully everyone gets, you know, what they should, depending on what had taken place and everything that's put, you know, in front of everyone. But, um, you know, just something to keep in the back of our mind, as you said, again, and, uh, you know, we'll move forward. And as, as a team and as everything around there, you know, you, you, you hope, Hopefully, you know, it's nothing too serious uh, when it comes to Von Miller, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't want to talk about it too much just because we really don't know too much about it and it would all be speculation at this point. Yeah, we've heard the allegations and it's not something we're going to get into on the show. Um, you hope they're not true. And from from just a football standpoint, like understanding that just trying to break it down as a football could be considered insensitive. But, you know, that's that's the area of the conversation we're most comfortable talking about. Neither Luca nor I are legal experts nor do we feel comfortable talking about the uh, very serious nature of these allegations from a football standpoint. You know, if the bills have to 
withstand not having Von Miller for a short period of time. I think that's something this roster could do. Obviously, if you know the NFL decides to drop the hammer on him and hold him out for an entire year, that would be disastrous with the amount of money they invested in him. I would not predict that's the way it goes, but I'm also not in this in the, the interest of predicting which way this goes. So keep it all in the back of your mind. Keep your eyes on ESPN, Bill's Beat Writers, see what happens there. But I don't think it's anything we're going to get any kind of like imminent um, answer on. I think this is something that's going to marinate for a while, and maybe we'll have an answer as training camp gets a little bit closer. All right, Luca, let's get into it. When we created this podcast, we described it as, well, you and I talk on Discord a lot, and I feel like every Bills fan has their chat group, right, where they talk to each other in chat, and it's like, hey, did you see Josh Allen had a photo taken with Gabe Davis? Look how buff Josh Allen looks, which did happen today, and he did look really buff, by the way. Oh, he looked great. He, he looked jacked. Um, and then we were like, well, you know, the, the tenor of our podcast, we really wanted to come off as like two, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but educated fans really just kind of sitting around a bar having a beer and just talking about the state of the team hitting on all the high points. And our goal through this is if you listen to our podcast, you stay up to date on all things bills. And maybe we have some thoughtful conversation along the way. Well, there is no better night to just sit around the bar and have a beer and just vent to me than two nights before the draft. Because I mentioned it earlier, I'm a head case. I've gone all different directions. There's been rumors out of left field, rumors out of right field. Um, I think we probably need to start with Brees Hall, Luca, because there was a comment on Chris Sims podcast that there's a love affair between the Bills and Brees Hall. And I understand that the first inclination is going to be to say, well, Chris Sims, I mean, what kind of intel does he have with the Bills? Let me just tell you that in 2018, in February, Chris Sims was telling people that the Bills are obsessed with Josh Allen. Another guy who was saying the Bills are obsessed with Josh Allen in 2018 was Benjamin Albright. And so yesterday, and this is not about me, I, I just happened to be the maybe the first one on Bill's Twitter to see this Chris Sims thing. I saw the video and I made a tweet about you know showing the quote of Chris Sims saying there's a love affair with the Bills and Brees Hall, and it gained some traction because Matt Perino and Cover One um, retweeted it. And somebody got on there and and tagged Benjamin Albright and was like, hey, Benjamin, you have some intel on the bills. What do you think about this? And Benjamin's comment was, uh, that's not false. <laughs> so Chris Sims and Benjamin Albright both have definitely have reasons to think the bills are very high on Brees Hall. Joe Biscalia, who I think for my money, you know, all respect to everybody else on the beat when it comes to pinpointing what the bills are going to do in the draft. Um, he's as good as it gets on the bills beat. Um, he's been on the Brees Hall train for weeks, has mocked him to the Bills several times, was on Tim Graham and Friends last night on their draft preview show. Um, and he was pumping the tires up for Brees Hall again. You know, he's not saying it's going to for sure be Brees Hall. We'll get into Joe Boscalia's thoughts because they're definitely worth getting into. But Luca, it's getting to the point with Brees Hall where we've talked about this for weeks. The, the smoke is not going away. It's starting to almost suffocate us now with the amount of smoke. And the fact that it's picking up on draft week can make you go one of two ways like, oh, that's convenient or, hey, maybe it's real. Which way are you leaning at this point? So most of the time at this point, I would be like, yeah, someone's just 
stoking that smoke, trying to just blow it across all land to make sure everyone else just thinks that's what's happening. But in reality, it's just exactly that. It's just smoke being thrown everywhere. In this particular instance, and today I know we've been discussing off air uh, a lot about it. I'm really starting to come around and think there is some serious fire to this. I, I almost wonder if this is just such a large fire that's been off in the distance and we just keep getting closer and closer and the smoke is still there because the fire is still burning here on draft week. If this is not a very legit fire, like this is a bonfire on the beach that has just been burning for weeks and it ain't going anywhere. And I mean, I know last week on our pod, you know, my reaction of if we draft Brees Hall is kind of a, okay, what are we doing now? Right. You know, and it's, it's not that I'm upset. It's just kind of a sigh of, I don't even know. I don't even want to put a negative word on it, but it wouldn't be positive either. It'd be indifferent, I guess. Um, I'm starting to come around only because, and I know you and I have discussed this before, but I made a point where if the bills and Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and everyone else are truly that in love and infatuated with Brees Hall, and they really are comfortable enough taking him at 25, who am I? Who are you? Who am I? Who is anyone else out there to say that that's a bad move? Because as we just discussed earlier, they're four for four on first round picks when it comes to picking up fifth year options. You don't do that on bums. You don't do that on players you don't want to be around and view as valuable for this team. I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to do that with Brees Hall. But what I'm saying is they obviously love those guys, too. They loved Josh Allen. That was proven right, as you pointed out. You know, they I'm sure they loved the other guys as well. I'm sure they loved Ed Oliver. And it was almost a surprise when we got Ed Oliver, thanks to uh, possibly Clellan Farrell getting picked third. I want to say it is by the appreciate you Raiders. Yeah. And really, really we have a Giants fan that's listening. So we won't bring up Daniel Jones. <laughs> yeah. But if they have fallen in love with all of these players and they've been able to get them and secure them and turn them into the important pieces of this team that we currently find ourselves loving and wanting to see win it all. And Brees Hall is yet another one of those players and they are comfortable at taking them 25. That is the most important thing to me at the end of everything. If they love this man and they, they are willing to spend a 25th overall pick on him to bring him in for both now and the future, because they view him as a valuable piece to this team. I'm I'm not going to hate it. I can't hate it. Why? What in what track record would I have to pull up and be like, this is why it's a bad pick? Yes, you can look at the history of picking a running back in the first round and where, you know, cost wise and, you know, when it comes to value of pick and appreciation of every all that kind of garbage. Right. Yes, I, I am with that. I'm all aboard that train. I'm all aboard the don't take halfbacks in the first round. But what trumps that is my trust in McBean. And if they truly love this player and stuff like that, I have come around to the idea in that sense of Brees Hall being really in the running of 25 and clearly this love affair that we keep hearing about and that everyone is around and just, it just doesn't go away. That fire is burning hot. It really seems like it. And I don't think it's just smoke. I really do at this point think it's just a giant bonfire on a beach, just wanting to burn for days. You mentioned the Ed Oliver draft. Do you remember the day of that draft where out of the blue, like an hour before the draft started, 
you started seeing, I think it was ESPN and NFL Network start tweeting out that the Bills are aggressively trying to trade up into the top three to get Quinn and Williams. And I remember listening to Shope and the Bulldog on WGR. Mike Shope is just losing his shit because he's like, you're going to trade up for a defensive tackle. It's probably going to cost you a future one. Like he's like, what are you doing? And I remember just like the lesson I learned from that was if something comes out of left field that close to the draft, it's probably not true. But in the case of Brees Hall, this is not out of left field. Joe Biscaglia has been on Brees Hall for weeks. This isn't just some rumor that started heating up the week of the draft where maybe the Bills are trying to angle something. And that's the other thing is I don't understand really the strategy of why the Bills would put that out there that they're interested in Brees Hall. From you know, There's two different ways this information could be coming from. If, the, if it's coming from the Bills, that means either A, they're putting it out there, probably unlikely. B, Chris Sims has friends in the Bills organization who are scouts who, you know, aren't probably Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, but do have access to things they've talked about in their draft room. And they've just been shooting the shit about the draft like people do. And he's just like, hey, by the way, you know, we're really high on Brees Hall. And if he's there at 25, we're probably going to pull the trigger. That would be to me where if this is coming from the Bills, that's how that happens. If this is coming from the Bills intentionally and Brandon Bean has instructed his room like, hey, tell anybody you can that we're into Brees Hall. Well, then that's a strategical play. So why would they do that? There's two different reasons in my mind. One, you do that when you're very confident a player is going to be there on the board for you to take, and you're afraid that there's going to be backlash for reaching. So you already want to plant the seed in your fan base's head that this player is worthy of that pick. Let me give you an example. The 2013 draft, the Bills were hot after quarterbacks. This is the draft that Ryan Nassib, Mike Glennon, Geno Smith was largely considered the best quarterback in that draft. And the day of that draft, Chris Brown, who is a Buffalo Bills employee, went on WGR and Howard Simon was like, so what do you think they're going to do? And he's like, you think that they're going to pull the trigger on Geno Smith or, you know, are they going to go with Ryan Nassib because he was Doug Marone's quarterback at Syracuse? And I think Matt Barkley was even one of the quarterbacks that was in consideration. And out of nowhere, Chris Brown, who works for the Bills, mind you, said, no, Howard, I think the quarterback that they're really interested in is EJ Manuel out of Florida State. He checks boxes X, Y, Z. He's big. He's fast. He's strong. They love him. Chris Brown, if he has inside information on what their draft board is, is not going to go on WGR the day of the draft and say that unless they've given him the okay to do that. And the only reason they gave him the okay to do that is because that gave the fans all day long to hear about, oh, EJ Manuel in the first round and people are start talking about it. And then when you take him in the first round, it's not like, where the hell did this come from? He was, he was in the fourth round on my, on my big board. It was more like, okay, I've been hearing about this today. That makes sense. So-and-so on ESPN said this could happen. It softens the blow. So that's one reason why you would do the Brees Hall thing. The other reason would be a little bit different. It would be strategically to have teams think, okay, the Bills are content to sit there at 25 and take Brees Hall. He's going to follow them. We don't need to worry about trading up in front of Buffalo to, you know, because they're not, they're not any danger to us. We're waiting on a cornerback. We're waiting on a quarterback. We're waiting on a wide receiver, whatever, whatever you want. There's no need to get aggressive and get in front of Buffalo. They're not after what we're after. And then the Bills can sit there and take a receiver or take a cornerback. And, you know, it, it, that's where the strategy would come in from their point. 
if they were deliberately doing that. I don't think it makes sense to do with a running back otherwise. And then there's obviously the strategy from the Brees Hall camp where if it's Sims getting this from his agent, then, you know, agents pump players tires all the time. So you can figure out why an agent won his player to be getting first round buzz. And Luca, you were mentioning even seeing a tweet from Ian Rappaport where he's like, don't be surprised if Brees Hall goes in the first round. If he does, it's going to be to the Bills. So that to me is where the strategy of the smoke comes from. And that's where my head has been all day long of, okay, Joe Biscalia and Chris Sims and Benjamin Albright. These aren't, you know, random CBS reporters that don't have Bill's intel or history of breaking Bill's stories. These are the guys that, you know, maybe not Chris Sims as much, but Albright and Joe Biscalia, the guys that you rely on for Bill's news. And then you have Ian Rappaport on NFL Network saying, watch out for running back at 25. So I think there's something to it. I don't know if it's a slam dunk that Brees Hall's there at 25. That's what they're going to do. I think he's very much in the conversation. You and I have speculated for weeks that, you know, even though I've said, hey, I prefer Kenneth Walker as a running back in this draft, I think it's close. I think they're both really good. I think the Bills would very much prefer Brees Hall. Luca, let's talk about the fit of Brees Hall. We've talked about the smoke around it, whether we believe it's true or not. You know, we we had the conversation last week about the value of taking running back in the first round. We can get into that too. I mean, we're going to be here for a while, so we can get into a lot of stuff. But just in general, you add a Brees Hall to this offense. Whether or not you like the investment you make at pick 25, put that on the back burner. What does a Brees Hall do for this offense? See, and that's that's the thing I would love to talk about because I love Brees Hall. I, I love him as a player. I never understood. I think it was like after the season, you're going into the combine, you know, timeline and, you know, time, of, you know, basically February, like right around in February, late January, February time. And all of a sudden you're hearing about this stuff like Brees Hall. He might not have the open field speed and stuff. And to me, that's where I was like, where the hell are you getting this idea from? Because those January notes that I know I mentioned back in last podcast when we were talking about this is a guy I even wrote down then. You know, we we all know about my offensive line love, and there's certain guys on that list that I have that I will just be glowing about come draft day because I noted them a long time ago. The first offensive player on my notes is Brees Hall. I actually loved everything about him. I I as a athlete, as a player, I thought for the Bills. He checks a lot of boxes on what they would love to add to that position and what you felt like they were working so hard at both. And I mean, this is in January, so this is obviously even before they tried to sign like a J.D. McKissick. And I'm not saying Brees Hall is J.D. McKissick because I think where there might be similarities, there's also not. But, you know, they clearly wanted to add that different dimension to the running back position. And Brees Hall is a perfect guy when it comes to a size speed combination you know he's a big guy but he still can run you know that four four forty. i think it was even a four three nine at the combine yeah i mean he's everything about him is just dynamic and i think that's the key word he is dynamic everything you want in a player is just at that position to just really give you that bump at running back Brees hall is and that would be perfect in a josh allen led offense and i i would love the marriage, I, you know, pick where you are aside, all those kinds of things. I think Brees Hall would come in, be impact to day one, 
be a great fit, like as a player, you know, everything else aside where you'd be taking him and, you know, whether it's good value or not, that's not what we're discussing here. As you said, I love Brees Hall. I think Brees Hall would be incredible. And I want to keep relaying that. I know you're a Kenneth Walker person. I'm a Brees Hall person. I, I, you know, especially when it comes to the bills, I might like Kenneth Walker more in other circumstances. Like I think Brees Hall would not be the guy I'd be drafting for say the Tennessee Titans. Kenneth Walker would be the guy I'm drafting for the Tennessee Titans. Like that would be, imagine a one, two punch on the Tennessee Titans of King Henry and then Kenneth Walker. No, thanks. That's terrifying. Yeah, that's terrifying. You know, I, I think Brees Hall would be a different dynamic and I'm not saying that he wouldn't succeed in that circumstance. You could just easily see the marriage of Kenneth Walker being in that offense a lot better than say on the bills where I think Brees Hall just really fits well. I think everything about his game and what he can add here and it wouldn't be anything to take away from Motor either. I think the one-two punch of Motor Brees Hall, I don't care who's one and who's two. You know, just having those two players to put back there just adds a lot to this offense in itself because that was clearly missing. You know, we were we were struggling and just like needing a little drop of water in the middle of a desert when we got Matt Breida, you know, things like that. And I think Brees Hall will give that to you in spades. Like he, he's going to provide so much juice to that backfield that you're going to forget the days of, you know, needing now, obviously Duke Johnson back there to just give you something else that you're not seeing with motor. And you're definitely not going to see with Zach Moss, not to hate on Zach Moss a little bit more, but I'm hating on Zach Moss a little bit more. I mean, um, it is what it is at this point. It's, yeah, it's professional well. football. He, he has not performed. So yeah, it's I'm, not I'm, hate. It's just reality. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, to, to wrap it up in a little bow here, you know, Take the value away of pick 25 and whether it's a good idea or not, put all of that aside just as a player, as an individual to come into this building and work with this offense. I would love the idea of Bruce Hall. I think it would be, I'm not going to call perfect marriage because we honestly don't know until you know, but it, it seems like on paper, it would be a phenomenal fit. And I would be very, very excited once I get by, you know, whatever had to happen in order to bring him on here or wherever he was taken. So, yeah, I've been pro Kenneth Walker. And, you know, I said that I think the Bills prefer Brees Hall. When this Brees Hall stuff really started picking up steam, I kind of went back in and started looking at it like, okay, I'm a parent, guys. Like I have a a one-year-old and I have a daughter who's about to turn seven. And I don't always agree with the decisions my daughter makes, but I always, you know, I usually start it with, okay, you shouldn't have done that, but help me understand why you did it. I want to try to see it from your point of view before I try to correct the behavior and maybe there's something in it. So the mindset I've had is, yes, would I take Brees Hall with the 25th pick? Probably not. Um, But help me understand why the bills would take him. So that's the lens I've been viewing this through the last day and a half to two days since this really started picking up steam. And I got to tell you, Luca, I'm not trying to be one of those Homer fans where it's like, oh, well, the wind is blowing in the direction of the Bills taking Brees Hall. So I want to make sure that I'm on record saying that I'm okay with it. Just in case it happens, I can go back five years from now and say, hey, everybody, I was the guy on Bill's chat podcast that was like, hey, Two days before the draft, you take Brees Hall and I'm smarter than everybody. Like that's not, that doesn't interest me. And I, I Luke, I know, I mean, you, you joke about, you know, being on okay with Josh Allen, which you were okay with Josh Allen, but like you one and I, one, one reason why you and I get along so well is because 
we are always open to changing our mind when new information comes in. And if I think a player is great and new information comes in that he's not great, I'm not going to sit there and say, well, he's great because I said he was great and I got to stick to it. So look, sitting here today, is Brees Hall my favorite idea at 25? I can't say that. I just can't. Like I, to me, there's there's better ways to spin the pick. But even a week removed from last week's podcast where I was like, I've come around on it more than I thought I would. Now, I think you brought up a great point. If you're looking to draft a guy to give 20 carries to and make that the focal point of your offense, think Nick Chubb in Cleveland, think Derrick Henry, like Luca brought up in Tennessee. I think Kenneth Walker is the guy for that. However, if you're looking to inject a guy into a pass first offense to be an added explosive weapon to really, I love the way Chris Sims explained it to you. I don't know if you had a chance to hear the video clip. He's like, okay, so why would the Bills love Brees Hall? I'm paraphrasing. Please go watch the video. It'll fire you up. He said, well, teams want to play too high against Josh Allen because they're scared he's going to beat you over the top. And Devin Singletary is running into light boxes all year long. And up until the end of the season, really wasn't doing much with it. Now we have a guy in Brees Hall who has three rockets up his ass and your safeties are 20 yards downfield. Good luck tackling him. And I'm just like, that makes a lot of sense to me. I get it. So I, one thing that appeals to me about Brees Hall, maybe in the same way that Travis Etienne appealed to me last year is this would not signify that our pass happy Josh Allen bills were going to become more run first or even more balanced. I don't have any interest in becoming more balanced. I don't have any interest in becoming run first. You give me an Alvin Kamara type back that can be a weapon in the passing game, complement the passing game, but also be a weapon when you hand it off. Perfect. And that's what I think reading more about Brees Hall. I think that's what he can be. And I read something today and, you know, I think you may have even mentioned this on the podcast before, and I'm, I don't want to say I rolled my eyes at it, but it was one of those things like you were saying it and I was like, yeah, that sounds right. But I don't know. He, he athletically now look, Jonathan Taylor to me for my money is the best running back in football right now. And I would take him, if I knew somebody was going to be Jonathan Taylor, I would take him with a top 10 pick at this point. Um, he athletically comps to Jonathan Taylor very favorably. When you look at, I don't know if it was mock draftable or one of those draft database sites where they take all the measurables at the combine, the height, weight, speed. Brees Hall's got a couple inches of height on Jonathan Taylor. They're around the same body weight. Um, Taylor's maybe a little bit thicker, uh, runs with a little bit more power. Brees Hall, you know, is a bigger guy, but doesn't necessarily run with that like fierce power. You would think he's much more of like, I'm just going to run past you. And he's got some good wiggle to him. But you start talking about Jonathan Taylor and look, it's two days before the draft. Aren't we all just like imagining what these guys could be at their highest end? I'm not saying Brees Hall is going to be Jonathan Taylor, but it's two days before the draft. Let's imagine you inject Jonathan Taylor or somebody similar to that into this Bills offense. I don't know how you stop it. And especially if you don't just have like the best defensive line in the world where you can stop the run with your D line while still dedicating so many to coverage. So that part excites me. And then Luca, I'm going to, volley this back to you here because this was your point that you made that I agree with. You know, you and I have been pro offense, pro offense, pro offense. Let's add to the offense. Let's feed Josh Allen. Let's weaponize Josh Allen. And for months, that's felt like let's get him a receiver. Are we going to be mad if they add what they feel is a blue trip 
game-breaking weapon, and that's what Brees Hall is, a game-breaking weapon. This offense doesn't have a lot of game-breaking speed on it. It's a great offense, but they don't have a lot of game-breaking speed. He would be that. Are we going to be upset because it's a position that historically is not a position you should prioritize in the draft, but they do check the box of adding that weapon? And I'll, I'll kick it back to you because that was a point you brought up too of, yes, they're feeding the offense, so how upset can I be? Yeah, and it's it's the point to bring up exactly as you put it. View it as an offensive weapon, not specifically as a running back, not specifically as a wide receiver. Obviously, this is not that case, but I'm just saying don't look at it as the raw position that they are. Just look at it as yet another game-breaking potential weapon on this offense. Are you really upset over that? Absolutely not. No, we we have been beating that drum for a little bit there. I mean, of course, we've been talking about taking a corner. I had an emotional response with, I really want to take a corner at 25. And, you know, I'm not going to move off of that point to a certain extent because that's my own singular opinion. But I can accept and I can easily get behind adding what the Bills believe is the best weapon available at 25 to then bring in and bring this offense up another notch. I cannot hate that. Why would I hate the idea of making Josh Allen better? That's crazy. I want Josh Allen to be even better. He is going to hopefully win the MVP this year. He's hopefully going to bring us to a championship. Why not give him everything you can to make it as easy as possible, to be honest? And there is definitely an argument that can be made as well where you know, you have a dynamic running back and that honestly complements a quarterback in a weird way, sometimes better, or at least makes their job a little bit easier. You always heard like back in the day, you know, you can't pass without the run. Obviously we all know that's a bunch of bull, but you know, there is kind of a truth in there where it's when you have a really good running back or at least a dynamic running back in, it eases things a little bit for the quarterback, whether it's on passing plays or just giving him a playoff with a run. We're not looking at Brees Hall for runs necessarily, but when you have that weapon that everyone needs to pay attention to in the backfield while also having everything else out wide, it just makes the quarterback's life easier. It just, that's, that's the nature of the game. That's the nature of you. I mean, your linebackers, your safeties have to pay attention to that man in the backfield. It has to happen. They, weren't really doing that with Singletary. It's just not no, that's not at all. Not the same threat. It, right. Why would they? I mean, yes, he's a body out there. You got to account for him, but it's one eye on him. It's not two. It's not three. Right. It, you with a Brees Hall, you have to make sure there's at least two eyes on him. You probably have, you know, two people at least knowing where he is. You you can't not. And I think the Chris Sims point you brought up is perfect because if your safeties are sitting 20, 30 yards back and you have this guy with rockets up his ass, ready to go on just a simple little swing out. Good luck. Him with a you know six foot one, two hundred and twenty pounds that can run a sub four forty is coming at you. That's not fun. And uh, I did I did make a good comp, but it wasn't Jonathan Taylor, by the way. It was actually because I thought it was fascinating. It actually hit a good point to me. Uh, there I saw somewhere out there it was a Matt Forte comp, and I hate comps, but I was like, man. You know, as a ceiling comp, that's not a bad one at all. And if you could imagine this Bills offense with, I don't want to say a prime Matt Forte, because we're not talking about a potential first overall pick and fantasy drafts out there. But, you know, imagine a Matt Forte-like person in this offense. I don't think there's one person in the world that would not want to see that. 
I, I, why would you, why would you be like, ah, I'm good. You know what? Just keep it with motor Singletary and let it roll. You know, let's, let's just make sure we cover our corners there. I mean, that would be fun. That would it just adding another dynamic playmaker offensive weapon to this offense is nothing we can hate. I mean, we need team speed too. And he would definitely be one of the fastest players on our offense as well. And I think you made sure you brought that up as well. And that's a great point. I mean, that's why we loved the idea of Rondell Moore last year, mm-hmm. or at least you did. And then the Cardinals decided to sweep in and take him right before the Bills could. You know, it, it's that idea of just adding a little team speed. And Brandon Bean says he wants to add speed and everyone wants speed. I mean, speed wins. I mean, speed scores. I, I don't want to say it wins games because that's more of a Madden mentality, but speed scores. You're going to have big plays because of speed. That's the number one thing that's going to create those big plays. So why not add an offensive weapon or at least the best one available at 25, I guess, in this instance to help this offense get further? It's not a bad idea. It's just, unfortunately, he's got an R and a B at his position that people look at with a very negative look. And I mean, I can understand it again, but if you just pull that away and put an O and a W, no one's going to complain. So you mentioned the team speed and, you know, that's worth mentioning. Like this is the NFL and, you know, for the most part in the NFL, games are very close. They're one score games. They come down to one play, especially when you have two good teams playing. And while you don't want to rely on 60 yard touchdown passes or 60 yard touchdown runs, the bills for the most part, their explosive plays have either been Josh Allen almost getting sacked and then scrambling out of the pocket and then finding somebody wide open when the defense is just standing there. Like I thought he was tackled three times. What the hell is happening? Or, um, Josh Allen running or Josh Allen throwing, you know, a deep pass to Gabriel Davis when they're double covering digs. What the bills really haven't had, save for that one big run in Miami that started the game off where the Bills scored was a big, you know, a cheap touchdown run. How many times did we see, even when LaShawn McCoy was here where, you know, the bills would be kind of stuck in the mud on offense. And then first play of the drive, they'd hand it to McCoy and he'd go 60 yards for a touchdown. And the game is just turned upside down. That's that's what this team misses. They they've mastered efficient offense. They can count on their offense to be great. What they haven't mastered is cheap offense. Like let's find something cheap where maybe you don't draw this play up to score, but a safety takes a bad read and Devin Singletary makes him pay by getting eight extra yards. Brees Hall, you give him a seam, he gets eighty yards. Like we don't have that. So that brings me to my next point. Joe Viscalia, I reference him a lot. I'm sorry if it seems repetitive. I think he's fantastic. And if you're not paying for the athletic, you're doing yourself a disservice because he and Matt Perino to me are just two diamonds when it comes to covering this team. And his content, particularly around draft time, is just as good as it gets. He brought up a great point about the Bills is under Sean McDermott, even when you look at their first round draft picks, really the only two that have been thrown into the fire right away were Tremaine Edmonds and Tredavious White. And what I mean by thrown into the fire and what he meant by thrown into the fire was they come into training camp and yes, of course they're competing, but they're the guy. Josh Allen came in and he was in a quarterback competition with Nathan Peterman and AJ McCarron. There's a name for some of you that probably forgot was a bill. And really, if you followed the the tea leaves of the training camp reps, 
Josh Allen was getting the third most amount. Like they did not want him to win that quarterback competition. And it wasn't until Nathan Peterman went out and totally Nathan Peterman the first half against Baltimore that they were like, Welp, we're in a spot here. I guess we have to just go ahead and throw Josh Allen out there. Um, Gregory Rousseau and Ed Oliver both got a lot of playing time as rookies, but as Joel Biscaglia pointed out, it was in a rotation. It's not like they're on the field 80% of the plays. It was 40 to 50. So what does that mean? That means if they take a cornerback, we're all like, oh, the Bills have to take a cornerback here because they need one. Are they really going to go into training camp and say, okay, Kyler Gordon or Trent McDuffie, whoever your cornerback of choice is, you're starting opposite Trey White. And if Trey White's injured, you're stopping, you're starting opposite Dane Jackson. Boom, you got it. Or is it going to be more of what we've seen with Sean McDermott where it's like, okay, you're our first round pick, but we really like Dane Jackson. We've been building up Cam Lewis. And we have these other guys that are on the depth chart that we've been building up and you're going to have to compete for it. That's a long way of saying that I don't think the bills go into any draft situation thinking I have to find a starter. I don't think when you're in a situation where your roster is as good as they are, they don't put themselves in that scenario where we have to find a starter. And that brings me back to Brees Hall. Luca, we both know Josh Allen loves Devin Singletary. He went out of his way at the end of last year to compliment Devin Singletary for how hard he works, how he never makes any mistakes on the field. If the Bills pull the trigger on Brees Hall at 25, do you think it's a foregone conclusion that they just put him in there? He's the guy and then Devin Singletary, you know, he he has way more athleticism than Devin Singletary could dream of. And Devin Singletary just kind of falls back and he's there as like a compliment? Or do you think that, they would respect what Devin Singletary did down the stretch last year and ease Brees Hall into the season. And I say that because we also know Sean McDermott is very fearful of the rookie wall. And if you give Brees Hall 300 touches by November and come playoff time, he doesn't have the same juice he had in September, then that pick really didn't do you a whole lot of good. Do you think it's a situation where draft Brees Hall, wash your hands, he's the guy, Devin Singletary, thanks for stopping by, we'll let you know if Brees Hall gets hurt, otherwise you can just go ahead and grab some Gatorade, or do you think you draft Brees Hall, but you still let Devin Singletary get his? How do you think that looks? I really think Devin Singletary starts out as kind of the 1A, and I, I say 1A, and honestly, I could even just say 1 you know, we don't do workhorses. Most of the NFL does not do workhorses. So even if you're a one, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed 25 touches. This isn't 2005. But yeah, I I don't see a scenario even with them taking Brees Hall at, you know, 25 and they love everything about him and whatnot. He's he's not going to come into camp and they're just going to hand him the reins. I, I I never would see a world like, like that. I, I don't even think actually, and I loved your point about corner and Dane Jackson specifically, you know, kind of to tie it back when we were talking about Bill's news. Another point that just kind of popped in my head about Brandon Bean's press conference from last week was he specifically called out Dane Jackson in a positive way and says, you know, I've loved his play here. I, I loved what he's been able to bring us in the three years he's been here. So that even tells me, say, even if a week ago they were thinking corner at the time, you know, I don't even think it was, if, as you brought up, I don't even think it was with the intention to just throw them right into the fire. I don't, I don't think they have that idea with anyone that they're going to take at 25, regardless who it is. I, I think even if they were to trade up, let's say a few picks to get someone they are targeting here, you know, let's say, I don't think it was, it's ever with an intention that they are going to get thrown into the fire day one. This is their job to lose essentially. Um, and that, yeah, 
bringing it back. That that goes with Brees Hall. I I think I think you don't want to let them hit the rookie wall. That's a great point you also brought up. I think this team's focus both now and on the future is to win championships. They're at a point where every year and we brought it up every week I feel like at this point when 17's under center, we are expected to be in it for a championship. And you're not going to get there by having a dynamic playmaker hit a wall and basically be useless come December. Right. And I'm not saying that would happen. Maybe he's a freak and he doesn't hit a wall even after a crazy workload, but why would you even want to test that? And I, and we're not in a position where we need to either. So no, I, I think Devin goes into the year, especially with the kind of the work he put in late, especially that Josh Allen rightfully so pointed out to everyone in this world that, you know, Devin Singletary is here and he's a good player for this team. He is definitely the guy. And, um, you know, I'm not saying he is the guy, but he is the guy to, you know, kick us off to start the year. Now, if Brees Hall really turns some heads and maybe he takes that 1A reign, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me at all come week eight. But I don't think that would limit Devin Singletary too much either, regardless. I mean, they're both, they're completely different athletes. They're different players. They bring you different things to this team that, even if Brees Hall comes in and it gives you everything you possibly could imagine, it's not like that's going to take away much of anything from Devin Singletary's workload. It might just change the dynamic of the offense and how they operate or maybe, you know, where at on the field, someone sees the field. You know, I, I, I think maybe there and how they rotate them might change. But again, they're always going to rotate. They're always going to be part of this offense, regardless who it is. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on it. I think it's a great point that was brought up by Buscalia. You know, these guys aren't meant to be thrown right into the fire. That's not what we do. That's why we have the team we have. We're one of the deepest teams in the NFL. And, you know, we have the luxury of letting them get comfortable and having the ability to make them comfortable and just get the best we can out of them without running them into a wall. And, um, yeah, I no matter what pick we're talking here, you know, just to pull it away from Brees Hall, I think that is kind of where it goes. And Brees Hall would just be, you know, one of the many under that circumstance and under that umbrella. And and we need him come January. You know, we're gonna be there in January, barring anything crazy where it doesn't matter anyways. You know, we need him in January. So don't, you know, don't give him two hundred touches where he's dead by December and then all of a sudden we're kind of just like shooting ourselves in the foot. That would suck. Yeah. January. I don't have to tell you, you live in the area. Sometimes the weather's a little chilly in January. Sometimes it's not oh, necessarily yeah. conducive to throwing the ball and you might want to be able to dust off your six, one, 210 pound, 220 pound rookie running back who runs a four, three, nine and just throw him down the defense's throat. That might be kind of a nice weapon to have. Yeah. No one wants to tackle that in January. Let mm-hmm. me tell you. <laughs> I I've gotten over the last couple of days pretty excited about what this offense could look like with Brees Hall. And I think it's because I'm weird and I, I can't really explain any other way. I've gotten to the point as a guy on this show, on this show, who has said, I prefer Kenneth Walker to Brees Hall and has also said that I wouldn't take a running back at pick 25. I've gotten to the point, Luca, where I think I'll be slightly disappointed if they don't come out with come out of this with Brees Hall just because I've started to get really excited about what it could mean. 
And I know there's smarter things to do, especially in the first round with cornerbacks and receivers and history says all this and that. But one thing that I was thinking of is, and you said, you know, one before I get into it, I saw a comp on Twitter. I don't remember who it was. It may have been yards per pass that said that if the Bills get Brees Hall, maybe think of it almost like when the Saints had Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, where Singletary is kind of your Ingram. You know, he's a little bit smaller. He's about 10 pounds lighter, a um, couple couple um, inches shorter, but same, like he's not going to really turn the corner on you as well, where he's more of like between the tackles, good in the short yardage, reliable in the passing game. Nothing great about his game, but Ingram's a better player than Devin Singletary, but just follow me here for the logic. And then Kamara, his first couple years was really that juice guy. Like it's third down and it's third and six. You just need another weapon on the field or, you know, in, in a situation where you're in a two minute drill, you want Kamara on the field. And I could see that, especially when you look at the way that the bills started last year, using a guy like Spencer Brown, who would come in as that third tight end just to get him on the field before he have, you know, eventually took over as the starting right tackle. Then they did the same thing with Tommy Doyle, where he'd come in as that second tight end just to get him on the field. You could avoid uh, Brees Hall hitting that rookie wall by just using him as a spot player. And I think you're also doing a solid to Devin Singletary, a guy who's been very loyal to you and a guy who's really popular, obviously, with the most important player in your organization. What you don't want to do in Devin Singletary's contract year, if you can avoid it, like it's it's big boy football. So if one guy is really better than the other, and you play him, it is what it is. You don't worry about hurt feelings. But if you can avoid it and you still give Devin Singletary 200, 250 touches this year, you know, in a timeshare, then he goes into free agency with a better shot of cashing in elsewhere. And that's the other point about Brees Hall. So Devin Singletary hasn't been a bad player for the Bills. His rookie year was actually kind of electric. And, and you know, when he was on the field, maybe it's because he was running next to Frank Gore. But uh, the year after that, 2020, it was like, oh man, Singletary looks a step slower than his rookie year, and he wasn't always the fastest. And then last year, it was up and down with a stronger finish, at least statistically. But what's interesting, Luca, is when we've talked about what the Bills are going to do with these future contracts, you and I have never once entertained the idea of extending Devin Singletary. And that is not just because we think they could take a running back high. It's just it's not good business to send a, sec- a running back on a second contract, and that doesn't matter where you take them. Zeke Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, those guys were electric for their teams who took them high in the draft, and those teams signed them to big contracts, and they look like poor value the second it's done. My question is uh, on Brees Hall, and you know, if the Bills take Brees Hall, we're going to probably have an entire show dedicated to what it could mean for the team, but for now, I kind of want to focus more on draft theory. One of the bigger arguments I've seen against it, and I got to say I'm a little aligned with it, is you take a running back in the first round. Are you almost admitting that this is a one contract player where, you know, you're going to get to the fifth year? You probably might pick up his, if he's great, you pick up his fifth year option. But by then he's 25. He's had five years worth of carries. And if he's really looking to cash in, it's probably not good business to do that. I know we've been spoiled with all these great first round picks McBean have had where we've picked up the options and we've extended Trey White. We've extended Josh Allen. I think a Tremaine Edmonds extension is coming. I think an Ed Oliver extension is coming. One of those two for sure. Is it a failed draft, Luca, if you uh, failed is a strong word. Is it a red flag to you to take a player in the first round that maybe the second you take them, you're already thinking probably a one contract player? Failed is definitely a strong word. 
Um, I would say it's on the brink of bad business, but I will put it this way. The average lifespan in the NFL is 3.3 seasons. So if you get five very good seasons out of a player, are you really going to think about the fact that you took them in the first round and you could have gotten someone else anyways? Maybe a little bit, but as long as you get the results you want, does it really matter? And I think that's the point also there. I It would be fascinating if, I mean, I think there is a perception too, and I think you kind of, you kind of brought this up in a way that it kind of got myself thinking about it. I think part of the stigma with taking a running back in the first round is just the fact that the value of a first round pick is of course there, but you always want that player to be someone that can be a lifer on your team. And then if it's a running back, you have the Christian McCaffrey's, the Zeke Elliott's that are instantly poor value. As you pointed out, as soon as you get them on a second contract. But if you find yourself in a predicament where you truly value this player as a first round grade talent. He is the guy you want, but you're only going to get him for five years and then you're going to move on from him. If that's really what you've accepted and there's nothing to you better at the time for your organization going forward, what is the problem with that? And, and I bring this up in a really kind of weird way because at least you're getting a dynamic offensive weapon. And I'm going to specifically keep saying offensive weapon from this on out so that I don't trigger anyone with running back. You, you're getting this offensive weapon that's very dynamic and adding incredible team speed to this offense for five years on a reasonable contract. And hopefully for the player himself, and I don't want it to sound like I don't care about players. They're just you know pawns in a, in a game where I don't care that they don't get money. Hopefully that person, you know, it, it would, might not be with the bills, but he can get his money that he deserves elsewhere. I, I want to yeah. point that out. But you get good, a five-year span of good value of a contract because I don't think there's anyone in this world that can tell me that a rookie contract is a bad contract for anyone that's worth starting in the NFL. I think that that is not a point anyone would ever make because that is still very cheap. I think um, when you look at, I think the only rookie contracts that you really hear about, to be honest, are quarterback money contracts, you know, because generally they're taken in the top five and, you know, you, you see what those contracts are and it's it's decent money. But even in quarterback terms, it's pennies on the dollar. That's why teams want to have a good rookie quarterback running their team. It, it's the same concept here. If you have a dynamic, one of your best offensive players are also on a rookie contract. I have no problem with them being just a five year rental, essentially. And, I, you know, I'm taking the human element out of it with that. I don't view that as bad of business as some others might. And I understand it because you're looking at it as a value of what a first round pick can be to you as an organization beyond the five years. But let me put it to you this way. If I, you know, you take the draft out of it and I go, hey, you're going to sign this player that's instantly going to make you the best offense in the league, because that's what it seems like it'll be, to be honest, the best offense in the league. And it's probably going to bring you at least two, let's say two Super Bowls. <laughs> You have the chance to win two Super Bowls. At least, okay. I, I mean, I love it. I love it. I love it. But yeah, exactly. We, we like, sound ridiculous, but yes, I love it. No, exactly. And, and I mean, that's what you're hoping out of someone like Brees Hall coming yeah. into this, right? That's exactly what you're hoping. So in a five-year span, if you hopefully can get two championship game appearances, I'm not even saying we win those because hopefully we do, but you know, that's what you would hope, right? Hopefully Josh Allen doesn't get hurt because obviously if he does, it's over. 
but you know, he adds that dynamic, he adds the speed and hopefully you just keep building from here on out. And if we can get to two of those five years to a championship game, no one's going to say no to that. Not one person. And at the, at, at the end of it all at with, with all said, I mean, that is the goal. That's what matters the most. That's what this business is all about. Winning championships, getting there to win it. So if that's what you feel really does it, what does it fucking matter mm-hmm. <laughs> if they're running back wide receiver corner? I don't give a shit. What is the best thing to this team? If you can only do it for five years, that's fine. It's a whole nother discussion when it comes to the second contract, of course, because you know, position wise, that's where it really comes into play because of course you pay people based on the position they play, but you don't do that with picks picks. Just kind of get what they get based on where you drafted them. There's a little bit of movement based on position because you have to do it with averages as well, I believe, but it's very minute compared to what they are after that point. So yes, I don't think it's bad business. I really don't. If you're getting five years, five quality high-end years out of someone, I don't care where you drafted them in the first round. I don't care what they were. If that's five high-end years, I will take it any day of the week. It's just, you better hit on it. That's the that's always the underlying point. It better hit because God forbid you take this and it's not what you expect. Then it's a disaster. I want to pick up on that in a second. I just realized in my head, I missed a piece of Bill's news this week. Not major news. They signed offensive lineman David Quisenberry from Tennessee, who started at right tackle last year for them. I think this gives us our swing tackle, at least competition for Tommy Doyle and could be an interior depth piece, really good signing. And why I want to bring this up here, I wouldn't, you know, if I would have thought about it, I would have brought it up at the beginning of the show. He is just another athletic freak that the Bills have added to their offensive line. When you look at Spencer Brown and you look at Roger Saffold and you look at Tommy Doyle and you look at the guys they've added. And we wondered when they hired Aaron Cromer as their offensive line coach, were they going to go more traditional big size power and they let guys like John Feliciano go, or were they going to go with the more like athletic prototype? And they've gone athletic, which leads a lot of people to believe that they are going to go with that zone running scheme that was so successful with them down the stretch where Devin Singletary was even ripping off some nice runs. And the first thing you read about every Brees Hall scouting report is the best zone runner in the, in this draft, maybe the best runner in the draft, but excels in the zone blocking scheme. Okay, quickly, I don't want you to forget this, so I'm just going to tell you on the air, and hopefully this will help us remember. You brought up, if it brings us two Super Bowls, that's great. We have been talking about, what are we going to talk about when we get to the summer? And you triggered a topic in my head of something I want to talk about. We could do a show on this of, what does Super Bowl or bust mean? Do the Bills have to win a Super Bowl? And I will just say very quickly, the Bills are at a very high level right now of sustained success. Have they won a Super Bowl? Obviously not but they made it to the AFC championship game two years ago where one of the best offenses in the sport. Last year, they were one of the most heartbreaking finishes to a game away from hosting the AFC championship game. If over the next five years with Brees Hall, they don't win a Super Bowl, but they're in the playoffs every year, winning a game or two, and they're still at this high-end level, I would say that's a success. Let's put that off to the side because I think that's a good show topic for the middle of the summer when we're coming up with you know, different narratives and things to talk about. I want to touch on something you just hit on though. 
you talk about you better make it work with your running back if you take him in the first round. I 100% co-sign to that. Now, the thing about the Brees Hall pick is if the Bills take it, you'll hear two examples of teams that did it in a Super Bowl window, which the Bills are in, and regretted it. And we're talking about late first round picks here. We're not talking about, you know, like the Saquon Barkley's, Ezekiel Elliott's, Leonard Fournette's, where these guys were just so high end prospects that everybody knew they were going to go early in the draft. It was just a matter of where. I'm talking about teams that were in a Super Bowl window and they took a running back and people kind of laugh at them for them. The Kansas City Chiefs took Clyde Edwards Hilaire the year after they won their Super Bowl. And then in the Josh Allen draft, 2018, the New England Patriots took Sony Michelle. And those are looked at as like, well, those teams would love to have those picks back, right? And you can even throw Rashad Penny with the Seahawks in there, although he's really come on strong lately. Uh, they weren't necessarily in a Super Bowl window, but you know they might have been with Russell Wilson. Though. So you could throw him in there if you want to. My counter argument to that is, do you hate the process of taking a running back at the back end of the first round, or do you hate the result? Because a few picks after Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went, Jonathan freaking Taylor went. So if the Chiefs take Jonathan Taylor instead of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, are we still making fun of them for taking a running back, or are we scared shitless of the Chiefs? The Patriots took Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle's college teammate who was also in that draft was Nick Chubb. Are we laughing at the Patriots if they get Nick Chubb, or are the Patriots winning one, one or two more Super Bowls because they have one of the best running backs in the game? Did those teams mess up the process of you never take a running back late, or did they just mess up their draft rankings? Luca, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a valid point. It's it's a very valid point. I think, you know, you have to point some fingers at the process, but also just evaluating the actual talent that's there. You have to get not only the best talent that's there, but the best talent for you. And whereas these teams felt they did that, obviously it did not work out successfully. Um I I I think it's all result driven. Everything is always result driven. At the when we do redrafts, when we're when we are sitting here in 2026 and we're redrafting the 2022 draft, the hope would be if we took Brees Hall that Brees Hall actually ended up being someone that everyone's like, oh crap, should have been a top 10 pick because he's unbelievably dynamic. Because what had happened in that point is probably the Bills did very, very good and Brees Hall was a very big part of it, right? So it's all result driven. I think I think that definitely matters. I think uh, the teams, if the examples you brought up, I think it's, you know, especially the Clyde Edwards Hilaire one. I remember as that draft happened and as that pick happened, I even questioned it because not to toot my own horn, I'm pretty, I've had, I got a pretty good track record of late. Jonathan Taylor was my number one by far. There's, Same, yeah. There are chat records of it everywhere. I was, just blowing up everyone about Jonathan Taylor. So when all of a sudden the Chiefs took CEH, I didn't hate the, I actually said, oh, the the Chiefs addressed running back, which I definitely felt they needed to do for a team that just won the Super Bowl. That seemed to make sense. They just chose the wrong guy. I don't understand what they fell in love with with CEH. You know, clearly it is not working out. Maybe he explodes this year. Probably not. But you had Jonathan Taylor sitting there and they just decided to do what they wanted with CEH. That's messing up the process. Again, as you pointed out, if they took Jonathan Taylor, this would be miserable. Ugh. Oh my goodness. This would be a miserable time. Mm. I mean, they would have Jonathan Taylor currently still on a rookie contract, just shredding everyone on top of Mahomes and everyone else. 
And um, yeah, that would not be good. And they easily could have done that. It just, however they evaluated their running backs, they just eventually evaluated the wrong one. So hopefully we're not in a circumstance that, you know, come Thursday, you know, we're taking Brees Hall. And then in 2026, we're like, damn, they just messed it up. They should have been taking Kenneth Walker. I don't feel that will be the case. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But it's likely impossible. But that would be happening because of results, not because of, you know, what the thought process was on the day of. And I think we brought that up with mock drafts. You know, when you look at it, you know, a lot of people are like best player available, right? BPA, always draft based on BPA, because when you look back at a draft, you just look at who was the best at that pick and you just rank them basically on the best they have been for those past three, four years. But I mean, it's, I'm almost talking myself into like, it's so yeah, annoying. This is, yeah. It's, it's horrible. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but we really could have used this dynamic running back. Mm-hmm. I, I do think I, it's actually opened up my eyes to that with redrafts. And this is why I keep bringing that up. I think best player available is always the number one way to go. But you do always need to keep in consideration what you have available or what you have in the building already and what can bring you to a next level as a team. And sometimes that best player available is not going to add much to you just because of whatever's going on. I mean, like, I think everyone can agree. And this is where me, I'm just ranting right now. But this, you is, know, we're, this is what this show is for. Just rant. Exactly. This show is ranting. Anyways, I have a beer in my hand. You know, Excellent. it's just like we're not drafting to defensive linemen no matter who's sitting there. Like we're that's not happening because the impact that they're going to make with this team, not even just this year, probably for the foreseeable future, you know, in his rookie contract, at least is as minimal as it could be. It seems like there's too many bodies there. It's it's already we've already drafted so many assets to invest in that situation. It just wouldn't make sense, even if it's the best player available, like say something goes crazy. Right. And you have Devonte Wyatt and um I'm trying to think of other guys that would be. I think Devonte Wyatt is the perfect name for this. I wouldn't stretch out too far. I mean, like, look, obviously, if Trevon Walker's sitting there, we'll take him and you just live with it, right? <laughs> but like, you know, let's be realistic. I think Devonte Wyatt is a perfect name for your point here. Yeah, Devonte Wyatt. If he's sitting there, we're still not going to take him. I mean, it just wouldn't make sense as an organization. It would like that's almost like the counter argument to best player available. Like it, it's the best player available on the board, but it's not the best player available to your organization, to your future. It just there. What are you going to get out of it? it? It, the, the value is so minimized based on what you already have in the building and what you've already invested at that area that you're just, you're kind of just shooting yourself in the foot more than anything else. You're shooting yourself in the foot more with that kind of pick or a, uh, you know, any interior defensive lineman or even an edge at this point, barring any miracle like you just brought up, you know, then it would be to take a Brees Hall at 25 because at least you can get seemingly good amount of value as you we had discussed before in hopefully five years out of that player at that position, right? So, I mean, that's kind of the counter argument to best player available. So, yeah, it, it kind of really bring it back and reel it back to the point you brought this in before I went on a rant here. There is the part of it where, you know, there's the stigma about taking a running back there, but you just got to make sure you do your due diligence. And I think that's a great point to bring up only because clearly the bills have done amount of work. If all these other people are talking and just blowing up about this love affair with Brees Hall, clearly they've done their due diligence. They've done their research on the running back position. And that is a guy they are targeting. 
Like, I don't think anyone could dispute that. So if that's the guy they're targeting and they did a lot of work at that position, you would hope, then hopefully they don't screw it up as such of like a CEH instead of Jonathan Taylor or any of the other examples you brought up. I I, I would really hope that we can trust this front office and front office enough to know that they wouldn't screw that up in such a way. I, I, I would find it very hard to believe. I mean, you know, to even reel it back, they're four for four right now on first round picks. They're, they're pretty good at evaluating talent that they want and that will fit what they're trying to do. So, you know, I, I would, I would be dumbfound if all of a sudden they fell in love with Brees Hall and it was wrong. I, I just, I don't see a world where that happens. This is not the universe of which that is what takes place come 2026. 20, you know, it, it just, that doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't think they would do that themselves. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I mean, knock on wood, everything else. I, I, I don't see that world. Yeah. And just really quickly on when you said best player available, I, I hate the redrafts. The redrafts are cool. Like if you look at a 2018, like, oh, Josh Allen would have been the first pick overall. Like that's really cool to read. But like best best player available, that's what we're doing. Like if the teams knew who the best players were, they would take the best players. They're taking the players they think are the best players available and they're trying to fit it into needs. Like, yes, you'll get teams that are like, oh, we need a corner, but we kind of have this receiver rate a little bit higher, but you know, we already have Jamar Chase and T Higgins. So let's go ahead and take a corner. Like that happens. Like you get it because the cornerback who's very good is going to play every snap for the Bengals. And this is, this is maybe a bad example. I don't even know if the Bengals need a cornerback, but like the Bengals draft a boundary receiver and that guy's not getting on the field, even in the first round, he's not beating out those guys. So there is some value in the fact that he comes in and helps you right away. I just like, if, the 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 Bengals. I just used them as an example. They took Billy Price in 2018. If if they would have known that Darius Leonard or Fred Warner were going to turn into all pro linebackers, they would have taken them. And in every redraft, you'll see those guys in that redraft, and you'll see Billy Price nowhere to be mentioned. So yes, there is the world where Brees Hall comes in and he turns into Clyde Edwards-Helaire, where he's just an average running back and doesn't really distinguish himself from Daryl Williams, who's the backup on the team. And Williams even looks better at times. And maybe Kenneth Walker is a Pro Bowl running back. And five years from now, we're like, damn, we really messed that up. That's a real concern. That's a real concern with any position, by the way. Like the Bills did take Zay Jones and there are other receivers that went after him that you're like, oh man, that guy would have been nice to have. It took Cody Ford when they could have had DK Metcalf or AJ Brown. So life comes at you fast in the draft. Nobody's batting a thousand, as we say. But specifically with Brees Hall, Luca, okay. We're, we're, we're talking about this a lot tonight because, you know, in two days, this could just not even be our reality, but I feel like there's this imaginary line drawn at pick 32, where if the bills pick Brees Hall before pick 32 is over, it's like, what are you doing? That's dumb. If they pick him at pick 33, it's like, oh, that makes sense. Second round running back. Well, guess what? The bills pick at 25. And then they don't pick again to what is it? 57, 58. I don't, I don't know the exact yeah, 57, 57. So it's either like you said, take Brees Hall at 25 or don't get Brees Hall because the best running backs tend to always go into first early second and look at a team like Denver last year, right? They had the 40th pick. They traded up on day two to pick 35 to take Javante Williams and almost Every expert will tell you, what a great pick. Javante Williams is going to be a superstar. They have Russell Wilson now. 
he's going to be an RB one in fantasy. He's a dynamic playmaker. It's, you know, they don't need Melvin Gordon, yada, yada, yada. And they trade up to 35 to get him. What if Denver trade up to 31 to get him? The reality is that's only four more spots up the board. Maybe pick 35 didn't want to do business with them. 30, 34 didn't either. 33 didn't either. All of a sudden they trade up to 32 because that team's willing to trade out and Denver gets the same dynamic playmaker that everybody's excited about. But because he was taken at pick 32 before that imaginary line, it's a first round running back. I think we have to get that idea out of our head. If you get a good player, it's a good player. You have to get a good player. You have to develop them. One last point on this, and we can talk about Brees Hall as long as you want to, but I know there's other things we want to get into. It's so hard for me to imagine this pick busting. Like I could see Brees Hall coming in and not really distinguishing himself. Like maybe he just kind of looks like a faster version of Singletary, but not necessarily special. Maybe he's not breaking tackles, you know, whatever. Maybe he's not a difference maker. But when you look at the run lanes that are available to Bill's running backs with the light boxes they face, with the two high safeties they look at almost all game long, and the lanes that Singletary finally was starting to take advantage of as the season rolled on and the playoffs got here, I it almost has that feel of, man, you could almost put anybody there and they would produce somewhat. But what would like a superstar athlete look like in those situations? I want everybody to think back to that. Monday night football game against the Titans, the second half when it felt like the Bills, no matter what they did, could not stop the Titans. Why was that? They were scared shitless of Derrick Henry. And he really didn't have a huge night. Now, if you look at his stat sheet, he ran for a bunch of yards and two touchdowns, maybe even three. And it's like, man, he ran all over the Bills. But really, that was two really long runs. And the rest of them were the Bills were just committed to stopping the run. But by committing to stop the run, it was just... Play action, A.J. Brown. Play action, Julio Jones. Play action, A.J. Brown. Wide open, and it felt like no matter what the Titans did, the Bills couldn't stop them. The Bills do not have that element in their offense right now. What the Bills have as far as a running game is, defenses are saying, thank you every time you hand the ball off to Devin Singletary because we'll put five guys in the box. We'll put safeties 30 yards back, and we're just going to say like, hey, our guys are way faster than him, and he's gonna he might get loose a little bit, but he's not going to score. So we'll give up an eight yard run. If it means Josh Allen's not throwing the ball to Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox or Stefan Diggs. Thank you for that trade-off because eventually we'll probably tackle him in the backfield and you'll be punting. I got like Brees Hall. Think about that Titans game. If he starts ripping off 50 yard touchdown runs in the first quarter and all of a sudden you scare the defense into, oh my God, we have to stop this guy and the passing game. Like then you're in a pick your poison situation. I really like that scenario. So Luca, we have beaten this Brees Hall topic to death. I think it's a real, I, I keep going back and forth, but I do think the interest is real. Um, I don't know if he's the top player on their board as far as like realistic options at 25. I, I think there maybe are some other players that they would consider, but where I'm at with Brees Hall with the bills is this is the last thing I'll say. If you love him, if you think he's the missing piece to your offense, if you think he's the guy that takes your offense from an A offense to an A plus plus offense, I don't need you to trade back and and get a third round and a fourth round pick and stockpile picks on a roster where rookies are going to have a hard time making the roster anyway, just to avoid the stigma of taking a first round running back. Just take him at 25, add him to your roster and get the guy you want. I don't need the bills to be cute here. If you love them, take them. If you like them, you think it'd be kind of fun to add, but you're willing to risk it and roll the dice and trade back into round two. Perfect. I love trade downs as much as the next person. 
but I want the Bills, if they trade down, to do it for the right reasons and not because they're afraid of some stigma that comes along with taking a first-round running back. I don't think they'd be afraid of that. Brandon Bean did say at his press conference that since he's been the general manager, there have been multiple running backs, multiple running backs they have had first-round grades on. And that's important because he did confirm this week that they don't have 32 first-round grades in this draft. They don't have near that many first-round grades in this draft. But he did say there have been running backs that have had first-round grades. So the first thing people thought of was, well, he became the GM in 2017, and obviously he would have had a first-round grade on Saquon Barkley. So what does that mean? Keyword there is multiple. So yes, Saquon Barkley, no-brainer first-round pick for everybody that scouted him. But that means along the way, somebody else popped for him. Sony Michelle. Could it have been Najee Harris? Could it have been probably not Javante Williams because they passed on him? My guess is it's Travis Etienne. There's been some intel out there that the Bills were actually going to take Travis Etienne. I tend to believe that based on what I have heard from certain people. So it feels like that Greg Rousseau was not their top choice. Etienne was, which also leads me to think, man, he's kind of similar to Brees Hall in a way. Um, just some things to kick around. But you know, I've just emptied my brain on Brees Hall. I'm, I could sit here for two more hours and talk about him, but I feel like there's more we want to get to. Luca, do you have anything else you want to talk about on this Brees Hall idea? No, I mean, I'll wrap it up. You know, draft the guy you love. First and foremost, always draft the guy you love. If you love a guy, you draft him, period. End of story. Doesn't matter where you're picking. You could be pick 12. You could be pick 25. You could be pick 57 and start. I don't care. If you truly love a player, and that's where, you know, this is me, you know, talking to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, if I ever had the pleasure, draft the guy you love. That would be always the first and foremost criteria of who do you take at whatever pick, right? If they truly love Brees Hall, I will support it. I will back it, everything like that. You know, after the draft, say we, we get to listen to all the post-draft content and we're sitting here recording next week. And the thing that popped out to me was that they just said they fell in love with him from the day they saw him at the combine to then at his pro day and everything else in between and afterwards. And they fell in love. If I keep hearing those words, I'm going to love the pick because that tells me they truly did like him as a player, love him as a prospect and everything he could do to this team. And I'm very happy with it. And honestly, I should rename this podcast now 60 minutes, Brees Hall edition. <laughs> that was an hour long talk about Brees Hall. But yeah, I think we have more to get to, so I think we should leave it at there. I thought it was a great little, you know, thought dump on Brees Hall and everything that that could mean at 25. And uh, let's keep this thing rolling. Okay, so this is not about Brees Hall, but this is still in that neighborhood. Day one has gone by. The Bills have taken Brees Hall with the 25th pick. What would Luca be thinking going into Friday night as far as needs? Going in, so, you know, going to bed Thursday waking up Friday, going into the draft Friday night. I would probably be thinking, what the hell is going to be sitting there? I mean, I would evaluate first and foremost what got taken after us, right? And I'd just see, you know, where did Kansas City go with their two picks, so on and so forth. Yeah. And then I would just be like, what are the best people out there right now? What are like, what are my top five remaining, right? And I think I've always had this thing with the draft where if there's a guy in the next top five available or the the remaining top five available that I love, I'm obsessed with. I'm like, oh my God, this guy would be so cool. I don't even know how this guy wasn't taken in the first round. If there's a guy like that, I'm praying Brandon Bean is talking to someone. I am praying he's on the phone trying to make a call. Sometimes those early second round picks 
are even more valuable and better off than the late first round pick. Sometimes they worked out better because you were able to reevaluate everything. You all of a sudden saw, holy crap, somehow this guy fell another seven positions after your pick and he's still there available. What can I do to trade to pick 35, right? That That is something I would first and foremost look at. That is, and I don't even care really about position at that point. Like if there's someone that just had this crazy drop and he's just clearly an unbelievable talent that you can now get early in the second round that maybe, you know, as we've heard, might be at a slightly discounted rate compared to drafts past and you could maybe just trade another pick or two to do so, it could be worth it. You know, it it could absolutely be worth it. But then after that point, I would definitely be seeing, you know, where the likes of like a Tariq Woolen is, where the likes of, you know, all these other prospects we've talked about, you know, that necessarily weren't viewed as first round, but are definitely day two candidates. Where are they? What are we doing with them? Obviously, every running back I am just crossing off on the board unless they drop crazy. I'm just like, yep, I don't care about Rashad White. I don't care about Kyron Williams. I don't care about any of these Oh, guys. yeah. You take Brees yeah, Hall yeah. in the round one. You yeah, just, you just yeah, you're done. It. Just, yeah, ignore all of them. Blah, blah, blah. Done. Right. But, you know, say, say Kyler Gordon, a, a guy we've brought and brought up and talked about a lot, right? Say Kyler Gordon is sitting there come the start of day two. Some might see that he doesn't fall another eight to 10 picks. I'm really hoping they're trading up for him. I'm really hoping that they're making calls nonstop to Kyler and be like, hey, we're trying to trade up and get to you. Don't worry. We're working on this. We're working on this. You hear about draft stories about teams doing that all the time. And then unfortunately, another team takes them. I'm hoping that that's what Brandon Bean's doing. But if we're sitting there at 57 and that's the best we can do, I don't even think there's a position specifically that I'm like, yeah, this is what we have to target. Then I'm just really thinking about what's the best thing for Josh Allen or what's the best thing for this team as a whole to just bring in another body for a word that I think um, being brought up specifically in his press conference last week and even kind of brought it up in his uh, appearance on One Bills Live today uh, or earlier today. And it was competition. And, and I think it's a it's a great point. I know I brought it up to you off air. I think at that point, you know, day two, so your second and third round, I think you're really looking at quality athletes still available at specific positions, if not just in general, just, you know, the seven on seven, we'll call it. And and it could be offensive line as well. I'll include them in this that you're bringing in for competition because you just don't want complacency to set in. You don't want, you know, let's say Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer to just feel comfortable and then maybe their play dips just a little bit because of it. I mean, that's only natural. That's human nature, right? You know, I brought up an example off air that it's not exactly NFL related, but it's definitely something that can even get more out of some players. It's just naturally the it, you want to be able to compete and you want to be able to compete not just on Sundays. You want to be able to compete with people within your locker room and your position group, you know, on Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, right? Whatever it may be. So that's kind of what I'd be looking at and then seeing who is there. And then if there's another offensive weapon like a Wandell Robinson or, you know, someone else like that, that would just add yet another dynamic playmaker potentially to this offense. I would definitely be looking at that. Day two could be really exciting if we take Brees Hall just to give a little bit of a silver lining there because it just opens up a whole realm of possibilities that are very exciting because now you just took like this running back that's kind of like, okay, that was viewed as kind of one of those things that we really could improve and we obviously brought in someone that could definitely do that. So what else could we bring in here to compete with other positions and just kind of 
move the ticker even more forward as a deep team that we already are. That's kind of where my mindset would be at competition in the, you know, position groups and then just best players available. Is there anyone that's worth trading up for? Is there anyone that's worth, you know, say moving your pick 57 and then, you know, your fourth round pick for, you know, pick 35. I'm just throwing out a number, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Right. You know, is there someone that's well, willing to be moved at for that that's kind of what I, my two things like that's where my head would be at you know and just i'd be doing this all on my phone because i'll be at the sabers game on friday but you know that's that's where i'll be watching friday draft um but yeah so um that's kind of where i go i mean that's pretty much my day two every year that's where i always look like i said top five that are remaining and then who can come into this you know group and kind of really drive and compete everyone else that's already there so things like complacency and just comfortable comfortability it never sets in and lets everyone stay at their peak performance you've been using a term all podcast offensive weapon instead of running back there's a part of me that wonders if they do in fact make Brees hall their number one pick if they would look at that as a box checked offensive weapon wise and i'm not saying that you know round five six seven comes around they don't take a flyer on a wide receiver i mean that to me, the meat of the draft is rounds one through four. After that, you're just kind of hoping you get guys that can come in, make the team and contribute every once in a while. You find a Teron Johnson or a Matt Milana who comes in and shines, and that's great. But it's not like you're looking at the draft after it's done, like, man, that fifth round pick we got, he's going to be a star. Um, I do wonder, Luca, if Brees Hall, if they take him, if at that point they're like, you know, I, we know they double dipped last year with defensive ends, but... I wonder if they look at it like, all right, we've added our speedy playmaker to the offense. You know, maybe we don't take a Sky Moore if he falls to us in round two, which if Sky Moore falls to you in round two, you just take him. But maybe Calvin Austin is a more um, appropriate example there where, you know, if in a scenario where they took a cornerback in round one, Calvin Austin might be a little bit more intriguing to them as kind of like that Isaiah McKenzie with a turbo button. But in round two, if you've already taken Brees Hall, maybe that's where you're looking for that interior offensive line or the linebacker that I know you have a guy you like, or, you know, you still do have that need for a cornerback or a safety of the future. I, I do wonder, and I might even predict that if they make Brees Hall their number one pick, the tendency of McBean has been to go defense in drafts early. I, I would think that they would probably stay away from skill players as much as a draft of Brees Hall and then George Pickens in the second round or Sky Moore or John Mechie or Calvin Austin, that would just be like they drafted for me at that point. Like, thank you, Bills. I love everything about this. I don't think that's in their DNA. I have a feeling that if they do take running back in round one, that they'd be looking at other things besides offensive playmakers in round two. Yeah, that's a valid point. And, and there's a track record to back you up there, as you mentioned, you know, yeah, the linebacker you are pointing out is a nice, wonderful prospect known as Troy Anderson out of, uh, I want to say he was out of Montana state. He He's a fun looking linebacker that, you know, maybe they look at with their third round where he falls. I'm not sure exactly. Um, cause I think he's kind of looked at as, you know, early third round, I want to say is generally where they fall. But at that point, when you're in the third round, who knows what happens? Um, yeah, I mean, it would make sense because of course we've talked about things that this defense could use maybe to keep it going, keep our high level going, maybe just 
add a little bit more depth that corner as we've discussed add a little bit more depth at linebacker with kind of more of a view at the future rather than the now you know things like that and that would be a great spot to address those things after taking a breeze hall in the first round so it's not like it would upset me at all I love overloading offense. I think just building the offense, as you point, it would be like, you know, you're drafting for myself as well. It's like, oh, yeah, just keep keep pouring it on. Like I was the guy in Madden drafts that was just drafting wide receivers, second, third, fourth, fifth round, because I just I wanted one or two to three to work. I just I wanted weapons. I wanted all of them. I wanted the speed. I wanted the toys. I like toys. I, I love the ability to just have as many things at your disposal. And I think in real life, that would be great for Josh Allen to have. But realistically. Yes, I, I'm kind of with you where, yeah, if especially if they take Brees Hall and it kind of checks the offensive weapon speed, you know, multiple boxes there where they really feel comfortable where everything else lays, you know, then they, yeah, they maybe whichever corners on their board, say fi- at pick 57, he's there. Maybe they do make that move I discussed because uh, Kyler Gordon's still sitting there and it costs them, you know, the pick 57 and uh, I don't know what pick 89. I know 89 is the third round. I don't know which one comes after that, but say a second and a fourth or whatever to get up and get Kyler Gordon. And then you take a Troy Anderson at pick 89, you know, where Kyle, uh, Kyle Brandt's going to be announcing things like that. You know, maybe that's what they do and they feel comfortable with everything. I wouldn't complain with that. I would have no problem with that. I, it makes a lot of sense to me. I, it would, it fit what they do. They would be comfortable with what they did. And you're adding quality bodies to this room that can improve this team as a whole, both now and in the future, more realistically. So I don't think there's a wrong way to approach it per se. It just definitely changes the dynamic of where you think they could go. Cause yeah, I, I, I definitely think you are onto something when it comes to if they draft Brees Hall, I don't think Calvin Austin is really crossing their mind at that point. I don't think they're going to want to draft another speedy gadget guy to bring into this offense after adding someone with the dynamic abilities of Brees Hall. I think that's, that's a pretty fair assumption to make that I don't think is ridiculous at all. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's all a valid point you just made there and it, it's not like it would make me uncomfortable. I just want to make sure I put that out there. It's like, I totally would understand what they were doing there on day two. I think it would all be make a lot of sense. And then you just go into day three, just looking for, you know, athletes, you know, special teamers, you know, potentially guys you could maybe put on the practice squad and develop whatever it may be. Right. Day three, you're not exactly looking for, you know, starters there. So we have walked down this breeze hall path several times over taken in all the sites, all the scenes we've, We've walked back and forth. We've worn out the path. I think we have exercised this path enough. Let's choose a different adventure here. And one position that we have been talking about the Bills pinpointing in round one is wide receiver. And Luca, as more and more mock drafts come out and more and more insiders tell you that you could see six or seven or eight receivers go in the first round. In fact, we had the ESPN NFL Nation mock draft tonight, which if you're not familiar with that, it's where the beat reporters that are assigned for each team make the picks for those team teams. And I always find those to be interesting because those are the team reporters who are in tune with what the teams are really thinking. They're the beat reporters that are there every day. And I find those drafts to be fascinating. Just looking at the results of that, six wide receivers went before the Bills picked. The Bills stood at 25 and Elena Gatzenberg picked Brees Hall. So I guess we're back on that path. And then another receiver at 30 went to the Chiefs with wide receiver George Pickens. So we are seeing six, seven, sometimes even eight receivers go off the board in the first round. And in a lot of cases, six to seven of those are off the board by the time the Bills pick. 
Luca, I'm not as confident as I was even two, three weeks ago that the Bills are going to come out of this draft with a wide receiver. I, I don't know how you're feeling about this, but I feel like it could be a situation where one, the board just doesn't fall their way to take a wide receiver, similar to our mock draft episode last week where we were like, well, the names we really like just aren't there. Or two, I just, I don't know how motivated and even Joe Biscalia said this this week that he thinks they might like their options at receiver more than we do. And maybe they look for more of like a mid round sprinkle into the mix guy versus a, we're going to add a blue chip guy to the mix. Just something to think about. But in general, the more and more mock drafts I read, the more I start thinking that as much as it would be cool to add a pass catching weapon in the round in round one, um, I don't think that's going to happen at wide receiver. Yeah, I, I think that picture is being painted pretty well by everyone, you know, around the uh, bills and everything. And it's a little sad, I guess. I think that's more of you and I just being a little excited to bring in something out wide that would just add another dimension to the team. But I'm not going to complain with it. I'm not going to be upset with it. I think the writing was on the wall, especially when um, I don't know if it was Bean or McDermott or Allen, but someone was really pumping the tires of Gabe Davis recently. Oh, that was and, Bean. He said, I'd go to war with Gabe Davis yeah, any, any day was, of the okay. week. Yeah, he was pumping his tires almost like to a point where you're like, he was making sure that everyone in the room heard him. And you're like, okay, well, if you're, and, and I'm not, look, Gabe Davis's last game was a four touchdown performance that essentially put us very, very close to winning all on his back, you know, with Josh Allen's help, of course. Um, so, you know, I'm not hating on Gabe Davis or anything. I, I, I'm very comfortable with Gabe Davis being our second outside wide receiver and, you know, second weapon, you know, to bring into battle here. I am very okay with it. it I, I'm very comfortable with it. I would love to see, or I can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do with kind of a full workload. Cause hopefully that's what's in store. So with all of that in mind, yeah, I'm with you. I think a dart throw maybe come, I don't even think it in the third round. So yeah, come day three, you know, maybe there's a guy that falls a little bit and they had kind of a, a round ahead valuation on him. Say, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to even think of a name like a Danny Gray, you know, or, uh, you know, it, it, I'm just pulling out names right now that I can think off the top of my head. I mean, Danny Gray is a guy from SMU that kind of hits a profile that I think they kind of like, but I mean, you're talking a day three person. So you're, yeah. you're picking up straws here. You know, that would be the kind of situation, a Bo, you know, not even Bo Melton. I don't think they would like him, uh, a Taekwon Thornton. I, I know him from. That's Baylor. a good name. Yeah. 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 He's, he's kind of one that will be there probably day three. And, you know, he's a big fast, you know, potentially outside target that are you going to think twice about it in the third round? No, or not. Sorry. Third round, fifth round, sixth round. No, not at all. He could probably contribute on, you know, special teams with his size and speed and everything. And then, you know, you throw him in the mix, as you said, like a kind of a dart throw, just added weapon to here or there, see what you got. And then, I mean, God forbid you get another kind of Dave, Gabe Davis situation and you really got something there. That'd be really, really cool. So that that would probably be a spot that I definitely could see them in, as you pointed out. And I'm OK with it at this point. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing to me, you know, kind of bring it back to a bar discussion. It's amazing to me that we were sitting here, say, three weeks ago and we're like really tooting the horn of wide receiver. and We would we would really like them to look at one of these, like let's say top eight guys, top 10 guys, because it would be so much fun to see what they could do in this offense and everything. And I am now absolutely okay with the acceptance of that's just not going to happen. So 
it is what it is. We're going to be moving on our day and everything like that. And I mean, I'm I just, I'm going to say it, like I said, in the beginning, I am just really looking forward to the draft being over and seeing what we got at the end of all of it. Yeah. Like it's Christmas. We've seen the present under the tree. Now we've speculated what it could mean. You know, the information leaking out from the beat reporters is kind of like you see a big box and you're like, Oh, is it a TV? Is it a PlayStation kind of thing? But you, all, you know, it's a big box. It could be anything in there. That's kind of where we're at. Um, so I have been, you know, taking in a lot of Bill's content and I will say that some of the beat reporters I really like, I mentioned Matt Perino, Sal Capaccio has mentioned this too. And, uh, Ryan Talbot, just some names to keep in mind. I'm not telling you guys to give up on wide receiver at 25. I'm just telling you that's the way the wind seems to be blowing for me right now. Um, but I do want to throw out there that some names I've heard that the bills maybe are even higher on than the consensus. And these would be guys that I think would be in the mix at 25. If the board fell a certain way, um, Jahan Dotson, Sky Moore and George Pickens. Those are three names that I would, uh, just keep in the back of your mind. I, those are not, I, I'm not predicting the bills go wide receiver at 25, but you know, if, if the Brees hall thing is a smokescreen and cornerbacks fall a certain way, or maybe the Bills just aren't as worried about their cornerback position as we are. Um, you know, Jahan Dotson, Luca, you and I, you know, we both were kind of like, eh, you know, like maybe round two, round three. And the more I read about him, the more it's kind of like he's being like comp to Emmanuel Sanders. And that's a pretty good pick for the end of the first round. Like he's never going to be the guy you build your offense around. But I mean, if you could get Emmanuel Sanders at pick 25 and have his career, feel pretty good about that. I mean, it's going to be hard for a wide receiver to come in and not be the best version of himself while Josh Allen's the quarterback. The opportunity is going to be there to succeed. Um, I've heard the Bills love Sky more, but just there's kind of a value issue there where you don't really want to take him at 25 and he's not going to fall to you at 57. Just some names to kick around, but I, I, I'm starting to get the sense that wide receiver maybe isn't the priority in the Bills room that it is among Bills fans. And on a certain level, that makes me sad. But on another level, if they make a move that like the Brees Hall move or some other aggressive move to improve their offense, even if it's with offensive line, I'd be for it. What I really, what I don't have the appetite for, and maybe this is a larger discussion about what would disappoint us. I don't really have the appetite for another defensive heavy draft. Like I get you need to address cornerback. I get that the future of your safety position is a little bit in question. So maybe you could take one of those. I get everything Lucas says about linebacker. And I get that Brandon Bean loves his defensive line. You want to take one of those guys in the first round? I'll live with it. But for the love of God, don't follow it up on day two and day three with two more defensive picks. I know this offense looked unstoppable in Kansas City, but this offense needs some more juice somewhere whether it's offensive line, whether it's running back, whether it's receiver, it needs blue chip juice. It can't just be Josh Allen has to just make amazing things happen with Stefan Diggs. And I know we have good weapons here. I'm not denying that, but we need to keep filling the pipeline with blue chip talent. And I don't, my worst case scenario draft, and I'm all over the place right now. If I were listening, I'd be like, what's this guy talking about? My worst case scenario right now for the bills, I think it just came to me. Defense, 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 first three rounds. The needs could line up for it where they take a cornerback and then here's a safety and there's a linebacker. Man, that would be disappointing. And I really want to see the Bills weaponize Josh Allen. And I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that would be my worst case scenario. I really don't see that happening. I'll just put your mind at ease. I 
cannot see a world where they go defense, defense, defense. I, I, I think the thing I hold on hope for, um, is they want to add speed. And I think it's definitely seen that speed is needed on offense. I, I, I don't know how you look at this offense as good it is as it was as great as it will be, you know, it, take it as it is right now. It's still going to be a great offense come this upcoming season, but everyone around can see that it could use speed. It could use a dynamic playmaker. It could use an offensive weapon. And I think Bean and McDermott and them see that. So it'd be really hard for me to see them going defense, 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 unless the board just fell perfectly where the value is so crazy on top of also adding speed that you had to do it right. That's the only situation I see that. And what puts my mind at ease and bringing it back to it is I don't think there's a ton of speed on defense when it comes, especially the picks that would be where they are. I don't think the thing you think of with all those guys is speed. You just think of how good they are or what their value is and what they could be athletic attribute wise. Like you have certain people like a Tariq Woolen that, yeah, speed comes with that athleticism, but you know, that's, it's not everyone that's out there. So it'd be an interesting situation. I think you'll be sleeping at least somewhat easy knowing that that's not the case. The one, the one person that I think you brought up to kind of pull it back a little bit, cause you talked a little bit there was um, I find it fascinating this George Pickens stuff because George yeah. Pickens to me is not a person that I would expect the bills to be interested in. Really? I'll be, I'll be flat honest. I, everything about him athletically makes sense, but he's like one of the biggest red flag players in this year's draft. The reason why he would even be available there, like for massive issues where his coach has called him undisciplined and, you know, he punched a player on the field and stuff, or I think it was on mm. practice, stuff like that, like major red flags, right? Huge off field problems. And to me, that's not a Bills person. That's not a McDermott person. That's not a Brandon Bean person. So the links that, and I've, I've seen a couple people think, you know, or say, you know, George Pickens is a person to kind of keep half an eye on, right? You know, just, just a name to throw out there and be like, you know, he fits the profile. He fits, you know, things that they might like where they would be picking. It would make sense. It's just him as a person does not make sense to me at all when it comes to the Bills taking him. And that's that's just me pointing out something that I just I put one and one together and I just don't see the connection. But I mean, as a player, he definitely checks a lot of boxes and I would I would just hope they'd be able to work on him like George Pickens is like a perfect Bruce Arians draft pick. Bruce Arians loves those guys, right? They got off field issues. You know, you're going to get them at good value and then he's just going to make sure they turn into good men. I mean, he did it with Tyron Matthew. He tried to do it with Kim DJ. Unfortunately, Kim DJ just wasn't actually that good as a player. Um, but he loves those guys, right? Where they have this high end ceiling. It's just, they have major off field red flags. So let's just make sure the man is okay. And then we'll just get the most we can out of them talent wise. Right. That makes sense to me. Brandon Bean and McDermott kind of like good characters, right? They like character. They, you want that right out the gate. You know, I, I don't know for what reason, maybe they have felt that they can mold that before, but it doesn't seem like they have the track record of that. So that's the one name I'll just say. And just throw out there, be like, huh, I'm interested why it seems like that name has been thrown out there more than once. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, to get off that topic and just kind of wrap this up here, it's just, I don't see defense, defense, defense. If we go running back, I could definitely see an all defensive day two. I mean, potentially, because they 
you know, maybe they're just like, yep, we hit the OW. We, we got our dynamic weapon on the offense that we just kind of can sit at ease and maybe fill the needs of, you know, the near future with a corner linebacker, whatever else it may be safety, whatever's best available kind of deal, unless they're also in love with someone that's still sitting there and they can move up, say five picks to do it, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, I, if, if they go say, let's say corner, you know, with the 25th pick or, you know, even trade up to get a guy, you know, say to that, cause they feel they need to at, you know, 20 or whatever it may be. Um, then I think they explore the weapons a little bit in day two and see if they can get a sky more up in the early second round or, you know, they evaluate the Calvin Austin situation. You know, I know some people don't think that Calvin Austin would really do it, but it would love to have, I would love personally to have a speed gadget, you know, there, like you said, Isaiah McKenzie with the rocket up his ass, you know, something like that. That would be a lot of fun to have. Even someone as dynamic as Wondell Robinson. He's been mm-hmm. fascinating me since January. And the bills you know, have been linked be- to him too. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's one I had on my January notes and I, he was like, I, he was honestly, I actually put him, I didn't even put wide receiver next to his name. I put offensive weapon. That's, that's how I viewed him. I'm like, this is kind of like, he's not Cordero Patterson. I'm not saying he is anything like Cordero Patterson. I just kind of looked at it like maybe they, you know, he just seems offensive weapon where it's almost, you can use him in multiple facets of the offense. Like he doesn't need to just be fixed in the slot or just on the outside or just in the backfield, wherever you can kind of use him in all those different places and just try to get him in open space as much as you can, because once he is in open space, he's electric. Right. Yeah. And that's the goal. So, you know, that's what I think happens, right? I, I cannot see a world that it's defense, defense, defense. And we're sitting here, you know, next Tuesday night and you're just, kind of sad sack in it being really upset that it's just all defense and we didn't do anything to help Josh Allen. And we drafted some wide receiver in the fifth round as a solution, quote unquote. Yeah, it would be disappointing. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he was a, a top 30 visit for the Bills. I knew I had seen, seen the connection there. So that's somebody that they're certainly interested in. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of cooling on the wide receiver idea. I, I want to throw some names out there that I, I thought the bills could be linked to, you know, they have been linked to some tight ends, Trey McBride, Isaiah likely were both top 30 visits for the bills. I, I wouldn't anticipate that would be something they do in the first round. I don't really see the need there. I, I'm a little confused by it. Honestly, you know, if you want to take, we talked about this when we went over the tight end position, you want to take a guy in the fifth, sixth round as a developmental guy to compete with Tommy Sweeney as tight end three this year, go for it. I'm all for it. But that position, at least for 2022, looks all but set to me with Dawson Knox and OJ Howard. And this is not, you know, historically, who knows what happens under Ken Dorsey, but this is not historically a big two tight end offense anyway. So that should be more than enough. And I understand that Knox and Howard are both on expiring contracts, but I feel like the smart money right now is on them extending Dawson Knox or at the very least franchise tagging him next year if they can't come to a deal because it is so palatable to have that tight end on the franchise number right now because that number is not so high. So I, I don't get that need. I don't get why the Bills are so interested in tight end. So that's something I'm definitely keeping an eye on. But Luca, let's talk about cornerback that has been kind of the elephant in the room this whole time. And I will say this. There's a very strong possibility, and I might even call it the most likely possibility that next Tuesday night when we're recording our episode, we start off the show kind of laughing at ourselves, saying the most obvious answer is what the Bills did 
and we bit the cheese on running back or, you know, we bit the cheese on guard or we bit the cheese on safety. And yet from the moment they decided to let Levi Wallace hit free agency and go to Pittsburgh and did not add another valuable veteran cornerback to the room, it was super obvious with, especially with Trey White's injury that they needed a cornerback. And here with the 25th pick, the bills take a cornerback. I think, I don't want to say it's, I don't, I don't know what I think the most likely scenario is, but I think it's right up there with the Brees Hall scenario that the bills come out of this draft with the cornerback couple names to keep in mind. And I do want to talk about Andrew Booth Jr. Because he is the guy we um, mocked the bills last week. Good news. I think Andrew Booth Jr. is going to be available for the bills. Bad news. I don't think the bills are going to take Andrew Booth Jr. I have seen multiple uh, guys who cover the team. Um, I mentioned uh, Matt Perino, Sal Capaccio. They all kind of said, eh, I don't think the Bills are going to be as in on him. One name that I have heard a lot connected to the Bills recently is Kyler Gordon. And just reading the tone of the guys that cover the team, it's not an accident that his name's being brought up. They're saying this with reason, with purpose. And I think Kyler Gordon, when you just when you understand how the Bills draft, when you understand what they look for in first round prospects, when it comes to measurables, and you look at some of the traits he has, the long arms, the willing tackler. He doesn't have that elite high-end 40 time, but remember the Bills are a cover three, cover four defense, cover two, where it's a lot of zone. They don't ask their cornerbacks to play on an island very much. He has enough speed, and he's really a very physical player. Another cornerback I want to throw out there, Kair Elam, I think is very much in play for the Bills at 25. And there was even a report that I saw earlier. I can't remember which Giants beat reporter it was that said that the Giants were super high on Kair Elam, but you know, obviously they wouldn't take him at what do they have? They have four and ten. They wouldn't take him in the you know the first ten picks. They they just didn't think that it would make sense, and then they were fearful that he wouldn't be there at thirty five. So if they wanted him to come to the Giants, they'd have to trade up for him. Um, interesting to keep in mind because Joe Shane comes from Buffalo. And you have to imagine that up until the point he got the Giants job, that Joe Shane and Brandon Bean were at least sharing a brain on some players. So keep that in your mind as pick 25 rolls on. Luca, we spent a good hour plus of this show talking about running back. Uh, Where are you at with Bills and cornerback at 25? I mean, I'm at the same point. I I really, I'll, I'll be... Frank, I'm, I'm more 50-50 on it now between the Brees Hall and corner thing. Not where I stand where I'd want them to go. I'm just saying where I think they will go. I'm I'm pretty split even down the middle. Um, I I really, this, the smoke of Brees Hall is just, it's not going anywhere. I know we've brought it up. We talked about it for an hour. I don't need to keep going into it here, but it's not going away. But with all that in mind, it would be, fitting or I guess I mean you brought up a point earlier too where you keep bringing up Brace Hall you you make sure the word is getting out there about Brees Hall so no one feels like they have to panic and get in front of us because corners can definitely be viewed as a little bit more of a coveted position in this draft so maybe if they didn't make sure that people felt comfortable that they were taking a running back at 25 maybe people would feel the need to jump them a little bit just in case you know say the Kyler Gordon or you know Kyer Elam say those guys, you know, the chiefs are targeting and they want to make sure they get one of the two. And since they have two first round picks sitting there, maybe they feel the need that they can just move up a little bit at the expense of one of those to move up. And then a later pick 
to then jump the bills and take one of their guys that they think the bills are interested in. You never know. And, and, and it definitely like, like I said, I'm 50, 50 on it. I love the Kyler Gordon idea. That's the guy I'm kind of on. I look at Kyler Gordon. I've looked at Kyler Gordon since January. I've looked at him honestly since he was at Washington because unfortunately he was shutting down Arizona State and my hopes every year. And I, I love him. I think he's going to be a great corner in this NFL. I'm not necessarily sold that it'd be a superstar, but I think in the right situation, say the Bills, he could definitely excel and you could definitely get the most out of him or at least a lot out of him. I think the funny part is like, you know, we talked about team speed and of course everything like that, like four five, two is nothing to sneeze at. It's just not viewed as elite speed. But as you brought up, we're generally a scheme that doesn't require over the top speed. You're not asking your corners to be on an Island. And I think the number one corner that everyone thinks about, not necessarily in the bills world, because obviously that's Trey white, but the number one corner that I think a lot of people in the NFL circle think about with Sean McDermott is Josh Norman. And, you know, Josh Norman had an incredible year under McDermott and everything like that. And if you look at him and like, say coming out of the draft, I think he ran like a four, six, six forty. Like he was nothing special, but he had the athletic attributes that he was able to excel in the system that McDermott put him in. And I think that would be the perfect situation as well as Kyler Gordon. And the funny part is they're kind of very similar. Um, I want to say Norman has one inch longer arms, but everything else is like identical across the board. So if say they draft a Kyler Gordon at 25 and you get Carolina, Josh Norman, like, you know, production out of him, I think we'd all be pretty happy with that. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going out on a limb on that one. I think that would be pretty awesome to have opposite of Trey white. Um, not saying it'll happen right out the gate. And again, Going back to something we discussed earlier in this podcast, I don't even think they'd be just throwing him in the fire, expecting him to be, you know, the number one, two corner right out the gate that, you know, they're probably going to lean a little bit more on Dane Jackson, Cam Lewis, and everyone else in that, you know, everyone in the, else in that position locker room that, you know, they've had in the building for the past two, three years, whatever it's been, but you're going to develop him into whatever you can and get the most out of him. And, you know, no one's better than do it at doing that than McDermott. I know we've discussed that at length in the past. We're very, you and I are very comfortable with McDermott getting a lot out of defensive backs, both corners and safeties. So I think if, if we're going to bed on Thursday night and then we're talking on our podcast next Tuesday and everything like that, after we had just drafted a corner, my comfort level might be a little bit, you know, more like higher. I, I think I'm, I'm a little more at ease, I guess. Um, if we take a Kyler Gordon at 25 or wherever it may end up, um, but I still, I'm just going to keep pointing it out. I'm really 50, 50 on it. I, I, I honestly have no idea if they're going corner or if they're going Brees Hall. I just don't like the fact that the Brees Hall stuff has been here for a month for me to say, I still lean towards corner. It would be funny. You know, if we're, if we're sitting here next week and we're just talking, yep, they took Kyler Gordon. They took Kyler Elam. They took Andrew Booth. I mean, how crazy would that be if it seems like they're falling and you know everyone's like ah, I don't know if they're really into him and then all of a sudden they just take him anyways? Do we want to talk what about Andrew Booth real quick? Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and take it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting that it keeps falling on everyone's you know boards and stuff like that. I there's definitely something about medical concerns with him. I there's got to be something you know maybe that's not as much in the public eye, but I know the flag has been out there about him with. I, what was it? A hamstring? Well, there was the sports was, hernia injury hernia, surgery. That's what it yeah. Was. yeah. So he had the hernia surgery and 
with all the talent that he looks to be and you know all the high end that he could potentially be it's it's fascinating and i know it's fascinating to us that he has just kept fall he is seemingly fallen on the board more and more i mean we see mocks where he's not even taken in the first you know we see mocks where he's taken at 31 to the Bengals. um like because i think that's what just happened in this espn one earlier today um and, and it just you know hearing you know sal capaccio just be like yeah i don't really think they're that into him kind of deal yeah it's it's a fascinating point and it definitely makes uh us kind of want to redo our our mock a little bit just be based on all that information but we did our mock when we did it is what it is and um yeah i mean it's it's sad because i do like the prospect of andrew booth i still do but if that medical concern is really serious how much would it suck to draft an andrew booth jr and he's not even available to us say by you know week two of preseason like he wasn't able to get into the building he wasn't able to do much other than rehab until halfway through preseason that would really be a downer especially considering what corner kind of looks like earlier in the year as an immediate need. Obviously you're not drafting just for immediate need. It just would kind of put a little bit of a damper on it and that would definitely stink. So if there's definitely something there, I can fully understand it. And if they, if that's kind of what moves them away from him and then into Kyler Gordon, I'm not going to be overly upset over it. Not by any means. So he had the core muscle repair in 2022. I'm getting this from cover one.net. Um, double hernia. This is from uh, Dane Brugler is their source. And then he's dealt with, this is what Sal, Sal Capaccio brought up on the show. And, and I'm not familiar with this disease. So, you know, I, I really don't want to speak to what it is, but apparently in high school, he was diagnosed with Osgood Schlatter's disease, which can lead to different kinds of tendonitis. And it looks like just reading through it a little bit that, you know, it, that mainly affects you when you're growing, like growth spurts can be a little more painful, tendonitis, things like that. But like you said, if he's not available, it's not even so much that, okay, we can't get him on the field. We're playing the Dolphins week two. We need a boundary cornerback. That to me is like, okay, if he's ready to start by then, great. But Andrew Booth is not a finished product. He He's a guy that you need to develop. And if he can't even be on the practice field developing, then yeah, I, I understand why the process would rule him out for the bills as much as I love him as a prospect. I really love the idea of Kair Elam. The more I've read about him, um, he's, he's somebody that I think reads a lot like a bills player. If I had to guess right now, just a guess, I would say, I was going to say, I think the bills would be higher on Kyler Gordon than Kair Elam. But one thing to keep in mind, we talked about last week, Kyler Gordon is going to be 23 before the season ends. The Bills have not drafted in the first round a player older than 21. Kair Elam is 20 years old. Something to keep in mind. And all of this comes back to me, Luca, that the mock drafts, and we hinted on this last episode where four weeks ago it felt like, man, there's like six or seven guys in that first round bunch of cornerbacks that really, you know, really good. And then last week it was more like, well, I think it's kind of sauce and stingly and then Maybe some people view McDuffie as that third guy in a tier by himself. And then after that, it's everybody else. Real quick, if you haven't heard, I don't think the Bills are going to be in on McDuffie. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I think his arm length is going to be a concern for them. Um, the things they prioritize prototype-wise, size-wise, he doesn't check the box to me as a guy the Bills would covet. Definitely could be wrong. But when you look at it, the Bills are on the clock. Two, maybe three if McDuffie's gone, cornerbacks are gone, but you're still looking at 
whatever you think of Andrew Booth. You have Kair Elam. You have Roger McCreary. You have Kyler Gordon. You have, obviously, Cam Taylor Britt uh, as a guy that's getting some late buzz here in the process as maybe somebody could sneak into the first round. I don't see that happening. Um, and then Tyreek Woolen, I don't know if I mentioned him. All that leads me to say is, doesn't it kind of feel like the Bills could just skip cornerback in round one and get a similar player in round two? Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that happening. I, I could definitely see them looking at corners and just seeing everything sitting there at 25. And if there's just a plentiful amount, you know, Kyir, Kyler, Tariq, you know, Woolen, everyone, all of them sitting there just almost feel a little too comfortable. I don't want to be too comfortable. No, feel comfortable that they're all there and just say, okay, what else can we do here? Do we have a first round grade on anyone else here at 25 that we could feel won't fall further? Take that player, say a Brees Hall, and then just play it how it goes when it comes to you going to bed Thursday night, you wake up Friday, seeing who's on the big board, whoever's left, and then seeing what you have to do in order to get one of those guys day two. I that's a scenario that I think is definitely in play. I mean, that's that's kind of what makes the Brees Hall conversation realistic to me. That's what makes it a real thing, because if the draft board were to play out in a way where, OK, let's play a scenario where Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have Kyler Gordon, Kyir Elam, Tariq Woolen as, you know, say their next best underneath Sauce and Stingley Jr. And all three of them are sitting there at twenty five. Well, all of a sudden, the discussion could possibly become, okay, let's take Brees Hall. He's our first round grade. He probably won't get out of, say, pick 40, right? Now, what we need to do is start making calls. I mean, maybe they even start making calls Thursday night, just seeing where everyone, you know, that sits up there early day two, you know, say he's calling his bud in New York and just being like, hey, what would it take to move up to that pick? And then you just get the discussion going. Maybe they don't want to talk then. Maybe they're like, hey, we'll just reconvene tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, you know, blah, 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 so on and so forth. I can absolutely see that happening. Again, I think Brandon Bean is the type, and he brought it up in a press conference where, you know, he evaluates moving up and back just as equal amount, you know, depending on how the board works and how his grading system works and where the players are still sitting in relation to where we are picking. I think that happens at 25. I think that happens at 57. I think that even happens at 89. I, I think that is always in play there. Maybe on day three, he doesn't go with quite that system. Maybe they just have guys that they just monitor and see where they're falling. And then if all of a sudden the board's getting a little thin, they might try to either trade out of the draft completely or just trade up to get their one guy, whatever it may be. Who cares? It's day three. But I think in those three picks, 25, 57, 89, I definitely think moving up, moving back, everything like that with how the board will eventually work its way out is definitely something that comes into play. So, yes, there is definitely a world where all those guys are available come day, you know, at 25. Maybe they pass on all of them because they feel like they're going to be able to get one of those three that they really like you know, by moving up day two, you know, in the second round or even potentially getting back all the way at 57. You never know. So offensive guard, we've talked about Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green. I'm starting to cool on that idea. I love both of those players. I love Zion Johnson. I really like Kenyon Green. I would love what they could do for the Bills. And I see the need there with Saffold being on a one-year deal. But I think what I think what the bills are going to do 
is they're going to rely one on Aaron Cromer, who they view as a significant upgrade over Bobby Johnson as an offensive line coach. Two, I think maybe that has them even hold out hope for a guy like an Ike Botker or a Cody Ford who could maybe develop into something that they just haven't seen under Bobby Johnson. They did sign Quisenberry. They have Saffold and Bates right now who are locked in, and Bates really did sign for starter money. So I I just, when you look at what the Bills have done at guard, this came up on a conversation on WGR today with Nate Geary and Jeremy White. The Bills have not really done anything at guard under Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. It's been Band-Aids. They just have not prioritized the position. It's been sixth round pick on Wyatt Teller. It's been signing a John Feliciano and Quentin Spain in the second and third wave of free agency. And hey, both those guys kind of hit and then they come back for second deals. And then, you know, hey, you're a little too expensive. You're not as good as we thought. It's been signing Daryl Williams off the scrap heap and then moving him to guard. Um, it's been drafting Cody Ford as a high, high end tackle. And then it's like, well, you can't really play tackle. So maybe we'll move you to guard trusting Ike Bacher, trading a late round pick for Ryan Bates. There hasn't been like a significant investment in guard. You can make the argument like, Hey, maybe they're tired of the musical chair situation at guard and they just get a Zion Johnson. And then they know going forward for the next four years, their guards are Bates and Johnson and they're good to go. I would make the argument the other way that, I think now we've seen this tendency with Brandon Bean where he wants to be good at tackles, he wants to be good at center, and he's not really wanting to spend premium assets at guard. So I think what we're going to continue to see him do is now you have Bates under contract. If that works out, great. And this year, Saffold's the Band-Aid. Next year, they'll maybe find somebody else. Or maybe Quisenberry turns into something that's similar to what Quentin Spain was when he was here, and he gets a long-term deal. I don't see the Bills spending a first-round pick on a guard. Nothing about their history under Brandon Bean tells you that they're going to do that. So to me, I almost want to rule Zion Johnson and um, who's the other, Kenyon Green out. Luca, do you have any thoughts on those two? I think you hit it right on the head. Not to not to like give it no thought or anything, but yeah. realistically, I mean, yeah, Saffold is the Band-Aid coming in at guard to go opposite Bates, who's going to be at left guard, you would imagine. You know, you have, as you said, you got your bookends with Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins. You got Morse in the middle and they're going to let it run. Questionberries, your swing tackle, everything like that. I mean, the pieces are in place where I don't even expect, I mean, unless the value is just too good to pass up for whatever reason. And I'm not talking day one. I'm just talking day two. I I think day one is just, that's not even going to be considered. Yeah. Uh, it just I can't see a world where that happens even in day two unless the value is just insane right unless my boy Rainman somehow had this cataclysmic fall to 57 and you're like well this guy was like you know 18 on our board like you gotta take him right something like that you know and he's actually an offensive tackle in this draft he's not even technically viewed as a guard he just is someone that I personally view as being a legitimate guard in the NFL um that would be the only case that I see anything even being addressed. I think they just keep with the status quo. They keep with doing what they've been doing. Maybe there's someone they see in the, you know, day three, like round five, six that they're like, okay, we'll just take him, bring him in, see what we got with him. And if it works, it works. If you get another Wyatt Teller in the sixth round, good on you. Don't you let really him go. know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what you're doing on day three, apparently, because no one else does. Cause it's not exactly like you find regular starters in the NFL on day three. So um, that's all I see really happening with the offensive line position as a whole. Okay. So pick 25, if the bills stay put, 
I think there's four positions in play. I think running back, particularly Brees Hall, is what I would consider likely. I think cornerback, likely. I think wide receiver, unlikely, but not ruled out. Fourth one, safety. I think this team has a safety need in their building. They view it that way. I don't think one, they enjoy being uh, held to the public negotiation fire right now that Jordan Poyer's team is putting them in. I think they recognize the fact that they have been living right with a underpaid roster. Luca, you talked about how underpaid the safeties were a couple weeks ago and how, how that's a real thing. But look, you don't want to get into a situation where you're paying guys for what they've done. You want to pay them for what they're doing. And when Jordan Poirier's contract expires, he's going to be a 32-year-old safety. Do you really want to pay him $15 million a year? I personally don't. No, thank you. So Joe Biscaglia, again, mention him again. He has said numerous times that he thinks the player, the Bills absolutely covet in this draft, who's not even realistic at 25, but the perfect Bill, the perfect player for them, the player who, if he starts falling to the teens, he could see the Bills trade up for not getting rid of their first round pick next year. That's what he said. Like, that's probably where they would draw the line. But hey, we'll send you a one and a two to get him, which would make me kind of nervous. But I know, Luca, you love this guy is Kyle Hamilton. And what that would scream is like, are they done with Jordan Poyer now? I don't think so. I think they would write it out one more year with Poyer and Hyde. Maybe they kick Poyer, you know, a couple more million this year just to keep him happy. And and then the plan is to transition Hamilton into that role next year. And then Hamilton can just kind of play like a sub linebacker role or a big nickel role. Like you find a place on the field for that guy, right? Like he's he's a good oh, enough yeah. player. You find a place for him. But Joel Biscali has said numerous times that Kyle Hamilton is the apple of their eye. So before we get into who I think the Bills would target at safety at 25, Luca, what are your thoughts on the trade up for Kyle Hamilton idea? Because I got to admit, it's not my favorite idea. It feels, I don't want to compare him to Jamal Adams because I think he's better than Jamal Adams, but we can't sit here and laugh at the Jets for sending two first round picks for or laugh at the Seahawks, excuse me, for sending two first round picks for Jamal Adams and then be ecstatic when our team sends a one and a two for Kyle Hamilton. That's where I come in. I have a feeling you're going to be on the other side of this because I know you love this player. Yeah, I'm on the other side of this Um, to an extent. I mean, I'm not going to hate it only because if they truly do, and this goes back to a point that I keep saying, but if they truly do love him and they really do like him and that's, I mean, what's not to like about him, but if they really do and say he has this slide, because a lot of mocks we can say, or a lot of people think that he's going to fall in the what, you know, 11, 12, you know, 13 era, right? So that's, you're looking at Washington. I'm trying to do this off memory here. Washington, uh, Minnesota, and then Houston. Right. If he, if he falls into that point and he doesn't get picked and now you're starting to talk like, you know, Eagles saints where they both have two picks in that kind of territory, you got the chargers and the Ravens and stuff like that in there. Now, one, Kyle Hamilton, the Ravens, I would almost like me personally, I'd be like, please do not let that player get on that defense because that would terrify me. But um, two, I would that's where I think the price wouldn't cost too, too much. I think that's where you could really start maybe looking at the possibility of trading your one and maybe like a three 
Like, I think that's where you could like your two isn't going to be, you know, on the chopping block anymore, potentially. I mean, we keep hearing about the discounted rate, quote unquote, you know, coming into this draft rather than, you know, years past and so on and so forth. So clearly GMs have talked about doing trades or maybe theoretically getting a trade worked out. And it seems to be a little less than what it would have been. And that I think has to do more with like, you don't have all these, you know, premium quarterbacks or at least they're not viewed as premium quarterbacks so a lot of teams are struggling to trade back that might want to and then it's creating almost like this there's too much supply and not enough demand which is very rare so that might be what's killing the cost of trades a little bit that's good for a team like us but i love the idea that if say we're sitting at 25 we're now then all of a sudden you know at pick 14 which is the ravens and the Ravens don't really care. Say they, I mean, I would think personally they're going to jump on Kyle Hamilton at that point. If you get Kyle Hamilton at 14, that seems like a great value as well as a great person to bring into their. But you give them a call and be like, hey, what would it take to get your pick? What would it take for you to move back to 25? And they say, all right, it's going to take a one, a three, you know, and it, I don't, I don't, I'm going to throw like a six in there. Me? If they're going at Kyle Hamilton, I might pull that trigger. I'm not saying they would, and I'm not saying that that's what the cost would be, but I would maybe pull that trigger. I mean, that would be a perfect guy to bring in. And then as you brought up with all the Poyer situation, really feel comfortable about the safety room going forward. I mean, it would be hard not to. And I do think they would, I mean, the Poyer situation to pull it back a little bit here they're going to have to pay him somewhat to make him happy. Yeah. You, you got to bring Poyer back. You got to make him happy. You got to let this year play out with him as a key piece, as he should be in this defense. But yeah, you're also getting Kyle Hamilton on the field. I mean, Kyle Hamilton could be an ultimate weapon on the defensive side of things to just move around as a chess piece and really just crank it up a notch as just a playmaker, as a disruptor, just another person at a different level to just, break games up on the defensive side of the ball. I would love the idea of him. The cost is probably a little too high. Yeah. I don't realistically, I don't think it will actually happen. I'm with you on a one and a two. I would not do that. I don't think a one and two is good value for anyone. Essentially. I mean, you're really, you're really flirting with danger there and screwing things up. Um, but just if you don't really think about cost and just think about the player, Yes, I love Kyle Hamilton. I have always loved Kyle Hamilton. I would love nothing more than to see Kyle Hamilton on a team that I deeply root for. I I wouldn't want to see him on, you know, the Ravens. You know, oh God, that would stink. Just thinking about that now. I don't even know why I put my head in that because it's most likely he falls, you know, 11 through 13. It doesn't even happen. But yeah, I like the idea. I think it's a good theory. I think safety, though, I, I'm with you. I, I think, you know, you brought up the four positions. I think safety is definitely something that, you know, they are entertaining the ideas of what is out there and what would it take to get whatever safeties they like. You know, where would they fall? Where would you have to move up to get them in the sense of, say, Kyle Hamilton? You know, what would be the situation with with all of them? I definitely think it's a position that there is one eye on. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, right now it's because I don't think Jordan Poyer has a ton of leverage, but I don't think the Bills want to be in a situation where he does have leverage. And the closer we get to training camp, if the Bills haven't addressed safety and their best option is, you know, Damar Hamlin, who I like, or Jaquan Johnson, who I kind of like, um, that's not great for me, for them, for me. But 
I don't think Brandon Bean's going to be the type of person who's like, okay, it's August. I need Jordan Poyer on the field to go out there and win the Super Bowl. So I'm just going to sign him to a three-year deal. I don't think that would be something he would do. I think he'd say, well, this sucks, but I think he's going to find a way to insulate himself with a safety in this draft a little earlier than we think. One name I want to throw out there, and I think this name is very, very, very much in play at pick 25. And it's not a name we've brought up on this podcast very much, but I'm starting to see some rumblings from people in the know that the Bills are really high on this guy. And I would say I would put him above Daxton Hill because of the position he plays, where Daxton Hill is maybe more think about him like a Micah Hyde comp. Lewis Seen from Georgia is a guy that I have seen numerous Bills beat reporters glow about in a way that makes you think they're talking to scouts in that building that love him. He comps very favorably as somebody who could play that more of like box version of a safety, like a Jordan Poyer, but don't think about him as like just a box safety. He is a freakish athlete. He's huge. He can cover, but he obviously can come up and thump in the run game. And I just think that's a name that I want to make sure I say before Thursday, because I think there's a really good chance we could hear his name called on Thursday. I've cooled a little bit on the Daxton Hill idea as far as what I think the bills will do. I still like the idea. But um, I think it was even Joe Biscalia on Tim Graham and Friends where he said, you know, a couple weeks ago, I thought that the Daxton Hill idea made sense. But then the more I thought about it, read into that what you want. Joe Biscalia is a smart guy. So maybe he's just sitting there thinking about it. I think there's also a chance that he's talking to people that know things. And he's like, the more I thought about it, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? You're going to start him at cornerback year one. And then, oh, Jordan Poyer is gone. So now he's going to go to go to strong safety year two, but really we think his best position is free safety. So Micah Hyde's gone in two years. So now he goes to free safety and you've Cody forwarded him. Like you've played him three different positions in his first three years and you've really stunted that growth. Is that really what you want to do with a first round pick? And that just made a lot of sense to me where Lewis seen is like, you know, he's going to be a strong safety. He can just come up under Jordan Poyer. He can play sub packages this year, play special teams, whatever. And if Jordan Poyer's situation gets ugly, he's your starting strong safety in 2022 and Jordan Poyer's traded or cut. I don't know. But to me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so do you have any thoughts on Lewis Seen? Is he a guy you've done much work on? You know what's funny? Uh, Lewis Seen, he kind of... It was going. I think you brought it up last week, where the, you you don't know which of the Georgia defenders because one of them has to not work out, right? Because there's so many of these all pro Georgia defenders. It's like which one is kind of the let's call phony in the defensive group. And at first, I was like, uh, I'm not too concerned with the safety. He's not even like top five noted on that defense, right? Then I pulled him up a little bit. I watched a little bit, and and the funniest thing is like I've seen like other people give comps and stuff like that. But one name that kind of held itself close to me a little bit and kind of fit what like the surprise rise of him. Let's put it that way for one. All of a sudden him coming into the first round, because I think even going into the combine, he was kind of looked at as a late day two guy, I think. Yeah. Around there. And then his athletic profile and what he is as a defender. He reminded me on tape a little bit of like a Dion Buchanan at Washington State. And the reason I bring him up, too, is because. They're both over six foot. They both had over 32 inch arms. They both ran under a four, you know, Dion Buchanan ran a four, four, nine at the combine, but he also ran a four, four, one at his pro day. Lewis seen ran a four, three, seven, both had identical, you know, vertical jumps, like athletic profile wise. They're almost identical as players. 
and they both played safety in college in very similar ways. So what that why I bring that up is I would have loved a Dion Buchanan, the safety on a team like this Bills. And I also make sure I preface the safety part because then of course the Cardinals built him up a little bit and turned him into a uh, you know, slime backer as they called it, you know, a money linebacker right. and just, you know, he's kind of a mobile safety linebacker hybrid, which he was very good at for one year and then it kind of fell off. But you know, it was just because he had an athletic profile where you almost get caught between that. You're either a big safety or you're almost a little bit of tiny linebacker. You're, you're right in the middle there. But I mean, I do like the idea of him. I like the idea of bringing a guy like him in. If he got called at 25, it would be a surprise to me. I would definitely say I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be negative about it either. It would be like, okay, they have like, that would be a pick to me that was kind of a little off the board. And then you're like, they have a plan for him. And that makes me comfortable in a way. If you have a plan for a guy, I am very comfortable with it. It's kind of where my comfort is with Brees Hall as well. Like if you're taking a guy like that, where it doesn't seem very conventional at 25, obviously Brees Hall's not coming out of nowhere, but it, it does, you know, the general consensus outside of the building would be that might not necessarily be the pick at 25. There's clearly a plan for that. And they like that guy and they're going to go forward with him being very happy with that pick. That makes me comfortable. So I like the idea of him. I, I wouldn't complain about that pick whatsoever. Can you imagine if the Bills take Lewis Seen or they trade up for Kyle Hamilton? Well, let's just stay in the Lewis Seen realm. Rachel Bush's Twitter feed on Thursday night. If the Bills take a safety with their first oh, round geez. pick. Oh my lord. Someone would have to like what do you, you when you record a video of just scrolling on Twitter? Yeah. Someone would have to do that because I'm sure it'd be electric. It sounds funny and it sounds like, oh, who cares about Twitter? But I really do wonder if in the Bills building, if there's a thought of, do we want to poke the bear here? Not the Rachel Bush bear, but the Jordan Poyer bear. This is a guy that's been, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He's been at the face of this rebuild. He He's an extension of McDermott on the field along with Micah Hyde. He's been here from 2017 to present. He's a leader on the team. He's one of the best players on the team. And his hype video in the game against New England in the playoffs is legendary in Bill's history. He's going to be on the on the wall of fame, assuming it doesn't end ugly. And, you know, unless you're sensing that it's going in a direction where he's either not going to show up for camp or he's going to really hold your feet to the fire publicly with his wife and his agent coming out saying the team needs to pay me or trade me, um, you know, do they rock the boat here and force the issue? I would say, hey, it's smart to get your ducks in a row because whether you pay Poyer now or not, 2022 is going to come and go and you're going to have a big opening at safety if it's not Jordan Poyer. That's a big shoe to fill. And if you can get a blue chip player there that you can kind of you know, shine up for a year where you don't have a ton of needs and then he's ready to go next year, that makes sense to me. It's not necessarily immediate help, but – Maybe they don't view there's immediate help out there if they're not in love with like a Brees Hall or one of the corners. So I, I don't know. The whole situation makes me nervous. We'll see what happens there. Um, okay, Luca, I am convinced, and we're going to wrap up this draft because we still have to play a big three game. I'm convinced that I can narrow down if the Bills stay at 25 to one of four players. And I'm going to say one, Brees Hall. Talked about him a lot. Two, Kyler Gordon, cornerback, three, Kair Elam, cornerback, four, Lewis Seen, safety. I would take that 
over the field, and I would even give odds. I think I think those are one of those four guys will be a Buffalo Bill by the time Thursday night ends if the Bills stay at twenty five. What do you think? I would love to know the betting odds. I would I would love to know the betting odds on that. Like I, it has me right now at this very second typing out what our betting odds for twenty five because I want to know. But um, the in- <sighs> those are four great names. Uh, if I had to put money on one of them, if I had to put money on one of them, assuming I'm estimating the odds. And I think in that scenario, by the way, Brees Hall would have the most likely odds. We'll call it. Yeah. Um, I'd probably put money on Kyler Gordon, but that's just my gut. I generally lean with my gut. My gut is put me in better situations more than not great ones uh, other than food, of course. But um, yeah, I, if you again, could take those, 50-50. if you could either take the bills, will get one of those four players or the, or you can have the entire field at 25, which one would you put the money on? Oh, I'd put it on the four. Yeah. I, I think that's a very good four. I think that four makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. And I think the fact that I'm 50, 50 on Brees hall or the field alone it would be dumb of me to put money otherwise. True. Yeah. <laughs> like if I'm putting 50% of my weight into Brees Hall, whether I believe in it or not, you know, as the right idea, in my opinion, I don't care it when I bet. You can't bet emotionally. Yeah, I'd be betting on the four. The, the four have a great argument for each of them. I think, you know, Kyrie Elam and Kyler Gordon are probably going to be what I would think the general public is going to want to see the most, right? I, I think we could both agree on that. I think the... The safety idea is just perfect, kind of like a little bit out of the box, but makes a total amount of sense. Putting all the Rachel Bush and all that fun entertainment aside, like just strictly as a team and organization where they are going forward, everything, I think scene would be a great pick. I think it would actually make a lot of sense. You know, if we were sitting here next Tuesday talking about that being the pick, there's going to be a lot of discussion of, wow, this is really like almost playing chess, not checkers. I think that could be a scenario that actually happens. And then, of course, we spent over an hour talking about Brees Hall. And, you know, if that happens, it happens and we're going to talk about it. So overall, those four make a ton of sense. And I think all of our draft research, the months of it and everything has led you to a very well-educated, you know, list of four players that make total sense at 25 from there. You know, we'll see how it goes and God bless it. I cannot wait for Thursday. I cannot wait for Thursday either. And we both have watched enough drafts in our lives to know that someone's going to fall that we're not even thinking about right now, right into their laps at 25, like Chris Olave. And then it's just when they're on the clock, you're like, well, yeah, they're going to take him because he's rated, you know, 12th and he's at 25. So that's what makes the draft great is you think you know the answers and then the draft happens and it just, it throws you for a loop and all of a sudden Blake Bortles is going three overall or somebody's trading up for Mitch Trubisky or Daniel Jones comes out of nowhere to be a sixth overall pick. Those are some bad, bad draft memories for those teams. And the bills have their own fair share of bad draft memories, but Luca, we want to end this show tonight on a positive feeling. We want good vibes heading into the draft. We want all the good juju heading into the draft. So We want to talk about the best Bills draft memories. And that's the topic tonight for our big three game we're going to play is what Bills move on draft day 
had you excited. And let me just say this right now. It didn't have to pan out. Every single one of you out there, if you're saying Kyle Williams is a liar, look at yourself in the mirror, go look in front of the mirror, point to yourself and say, you're a liar. If you're saying Kyle Williams, he was a fifth round pick. He was the second defensive tackle they took. He had a great career. I'm talking about the second they take this player, you are through the moon excited. And that's what we're drafting tonight. And it's okay if the player you were super excited about turns out to be awful because it's about how you felt on draft day, who got you excited about the direction of the team. And if it ended up being a player that's a bust, that's cool because you're willing to admit you were wrong about something, which is something that a lot of people struggle with. So that's the topic tonight, Luca. It is your turn to ask the trivia question. So I'll turn it over to you. I think this is going to be a good, simple one for you. But uh, in 2020, Josh Allen was undoubtedly having an MVP-like year. Yes. But actually only official only officially started 15 of the 16 games, even though he was available for all games played. Can you name the player who officially started at quarterback for that one other game? Oh, 2020. So that was the COVID year. Correct. So he started. Josh Allen started 15 of the 16 games. Okay. He was available all 16. So my first thought, just so you know, I, had, I was like, okay, what happened week 17 that year? But Matt Barkley played, but it wasn't Josh Allen started the game. So that wasn't it. So this has to be a situation, Luca, where it was either a trick play or kind of like a Matt Castle starting for Tyrod Taylor situation is what's coming to mind. Because it's not like, I mean, I would remember it if Josh Allen left his left his helmet on the sideline or something and had to go out there for one play. Um, so I'm just going to cycle through the games really quickly in my head. Um, thinking, uh, no, no, give me one moment here. Uh, I am not coming up with anything here. I'm trying to think of the NFC teams they played. They played the Cardinals. They played the Rams. They played the Niners. He started all those games, played the Seahawks. The Seahawks was a weird game. And that was the day after, um, Alan found out that his grandma died. So I could see a situation where maybe they drew up a trick play on that. But I also remember like the Bills started the game off with a really high kick return and then McKenzie scored a touchdown. The Seahawks is the one I want to guess right now, but I'm still kind of cycling through. Ooh, you would be wrong, unfortunately. Um, so the correct answer is week 17 versus Miami, but it is not Barkley or any other quarterback. It was actually Devin Singletary got the opening snap at quarterback to officially be the quarterback who started that game. And therefore Josh Allen only started 15 of 16 that season. Okay. Well, I don't feel as bad because I don't remember that play at all. Yeah. They came out in wildcat right after okay. the opening kickoff. What a uh, silly rule. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a fun little trivia one. I thought you'd get it to be honest. I, I thought it was recent. It's a good enough. question though. It is. It's actually, I remember I stumbled upon it. Like I, I made this whole list for when we do this and I stumbled upon it. I was like, wait, Josh Allen only started 15 of 16 games in 2020. So I had to do digging and sure enough, found that one. Um, with all of that said, I think um, I took the first overall last time I won a trivia. So I will pass it off to you. I will give you the first pick. All right. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, so I think there's going to be an answer that most people think of as their most exciting day. And I am not trying to be contrarian. I just did not enjoy it on that day. I thought it was a bad pick. 
So cycling through, there were some moments where I was pretty excited and they're, they're kind of funny when you think about how they turned out. But Luca in 2014, we were okay. 14 years into the drought. That math is pretty easy. And things were just not looking good. They were going into year two of EJ Manuel and year one had injuries, inconsistent play, and, you know, cool drives here and there. But for the most part, you didn't really feel good about where he was. That offseason, unfortunately, Ralph Wilson Jr. died, and you weren't really sure what was going to happen with the future of the team. Were they going to wind up in Toronto? Who was the owner going to be? And so Russ Brandon, the president, was basically the highest guy on the totem pole with no owner. And there were rumors all draft season that the Bills were trying to trade up. And we didn't know for who or for what, but there was a Dan Pompey article coming out months before the draft that the Bills were aggressively trying to get to number one. And people were like, well, if you're going to try to get that high, it's got to be for a quarterback. But would they really do that for Johnny Manziel? I, I don't know. And that was the name that everybody thought of. And then it was like, as the draft went on, it was pretty obvious that Jadavian Clowney was going to be the biggest pick in the draft, and at least the first pick in the draft. And it just didn't make sense for them to mortgage the future to get up there. But there was just enough chatter that the Bills were aggressively trying to trade up. And throughout that draft process, a name we have mentioned many times tonight, Joe Biscalia, kept saying the apple of their eye is Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins is a generational talent at wide receiver. He's unlike anything they have on their roster or have had on their roster in a long time. And I don't know. I don't know if it was because the Bills were 14 years into a playoff drought or if it was because I already felt like EJ Manuel was already going in the wrong direction as a franchise quarterback. We were already at that point where you went from excitement to like, I guess I kind of hope it turns out well, but I'm not really believing this. And then Doug Marone was kind of already getting cranky. He was a lot more happy his first year. And then second year, he got kind of cranky and standoffish with the media. And there just wasn't a whole lot to like about the team. And they hadn't made the playoffs in 14 years. And you're just thinking to yourself, you know, what are you risking by sending two first round picks for a receiver, or making an aggressive move? Go get something exciting because right now, existence as a Bills fan kind of sucks. And we need something to get excited about. So why don't we go get the most exciting playmaker in the draft? So you're sitting there watching that draft and Clowney goes off the board and then Greg Robinson goes off the board and then Blake Bortles goes off the board and you're still kind of in shock about that. And you look over and you see the bills are on the clock and I just went nuts. I was like, they're getting Sammy Watkins. And the biggest thing I remember thinking was, okay, did they give up their first and second round pick this year? Or did they give up their first and then their first round pick the next year? And then when the graphic came on the screen that they'd given up their, their first in back-to-back years, my first thought was, oh my gosh, Brandon, Brandon, not Brandon Bean, Russ Brandon, I'm so sorry, Brandon Bean, Russ Brandon <laughs> and Doug Whaley were basically like inmates running the asylum. They have no owner. They don't know if the new owner is going to come in and fire them anyway. And so why not trade away assets in the future that aren't going to help you if you get fired? So yeah, let's go on a spending spree and spend future assets that we don't know if we're going to be ours. I didn't care. It didn't feel very smart at the time, but I was just excited. It made me feel alive as a fan. And the whole experience on Twitter and seeing uh, Bill's personalities, I remember Mike Shope was endorsing it. And even he's the guy that's like never trade up and he was getting into it. And 
the thing I remember the most though, listening to WGR the next day, Jeremy White just hit it out of the park with his analogy. He said, last night's draft was like a trip to Vegas. You go out, you gamble, have a few drinks, you have a nice little steak dinner, you're buying your friends rounds, and you just have the time of your life. You go back to your hotel room, you go to bed, you think about, man, that was a really cool night. And then you wake up the next morning, you're kind of tired and hung over. You're like, that was cool. And you look over on your nightstand, right? And you see the bill. Like, wait, I spent what? I spent that much? That's And the way he said that, it was like it brought me back from the excitement from the day before. And I was like, that's kind of right. Like, it feels like they did overspend by quite a bit. Um, but at the time, it was it was just nice to feel alive. Times have changed. We've talked about tonight how the Bills are more so looking for like a cherry on top pick here with this current Super Bowl contender they have. That was not the case back in 2014 when you just questioned at times if you were even in the same league as teams like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning-led teams. And it was just nice to feel like, hey, the Bills finally made headlines, even if it was for something that wasn't smart. So Sammy Watkins at the time made me feel like the Bills mattered and then the next day, Jeremy White's analogy just hit it out of the park. So that is my number one pick. It's a solid number one pick. I honestly had that as my top as well because of similar reasons. Although it's hard for me to do that because I remember I kind of picked that as my first personally just to do it real quick because of the trade up was exciting. I knew the rumors about Sammy Watkins and that was one of the guys they were really targeting were out there, but I was still holding on to this belief that they would see a guy like Mike Evans or a Khalil Mack were like too tempting to be good. And they were just, you know, the Sammy Watkins stuff could potentially be smoke. We get Sammy Watkins. I'm not overly upset about it. I'm just upset at the fact that we didn't. I personally liked Mike Evans. I was like, Mike Evans is literally the guy who created a, Heisman Trophy quarterback in Manziel because I knew from day one that Manziel was not what everyone wanted him to be. I mean, the the infamous Alabama game, if you watch it, it's just Mike Evans balling out and just grabbing every, you know, one-on-one or whatever you want to call it out there that Manziel's just chucking up all willy-nilly, just not giving a flying shit about, right? And I was like, yeah, I like this guy because he is just there to back up his quarterback and bail him out. I loved it. But yeah, I mean, 2014, it was exciting. It was exciting to make headlines. I think that was a point you made. That's perfect. Yeah. And to your point, they did not hide their interest in Sammy Watkins the entire draft season. Joe Biscali at the time on WGR was going on there every day saying Sammy Watkins is the apple of their eye. So by the time that draft came around, they pretty much it, it, it was clear that they weren't very buttoned up. The fact that they loved him, the outside world knew they were going to trade up. They did trade up and they got a guy that was supposed to be the best playmaker this team had seen in a long, long time. And for a while he was that and then injuries caught up with him, and then kind of some weird personality quirks and he was gone not not long after that when the process took over. So I'm excited to see who your first pick is now. So with my first pick, it's probably not even my favorite pick. It's just I think it was a lot of fun. And it points at, I mean, it's, I will say it this in 2011, it was my favorite draft. Like as a football fan, as a bills fan, everything, the 2011 draft was unbelievable. Even going into it, like 
I remember the 2011 draft. And of course, I'm talking about Marcel Darius. That's how unexcited I am about this pick. Just kidding. No, I, lo- I loved the Marcel Darius. I'll get into it. But to lead off in a little bit of a different direction, the 2011 pick or draft was absolutely stacked. There was not one person out there that had a take that couldn't tell you that every one of these players are going to make a massive impact in the NFL. I, I, I genuinely remember telling people, I mean, of course, Cam Newton wins the Heisman. He's going number one overall to Carolina. I want to say that's because Andrew Luck bowed out and went in 2012, if memory serves me right. And then you had the pick essentially between Von Miller or Marcel Darius because one of those was going to end up at Denver and the Bills were sitting at three. So, of course, naturally, being how awful we were to be sitting at three, it, you looked forward to the draft because it's like, holy crap, we have a top five pick now. We're going to get someone that is truly going to make an impact, hopefully, for a long, long time. Who do we end up getting falling into our lap? Probably what was viewed as the safest pick of the draft and Marcel Darius. He was a stud. He was just a mammoth human being right in the middle to eat up everything. And honestly, obviously early on, it looked to be working out very well. But I remember on draft day, drafting Marcel Darius, and I was ecstatic. I was so pumped. I was like, this is an absolute game changer inside our defensive line to just take it to the next level. We're going to be dominant. This is what we're going to build off of, right? A massive building block to them build off of and hopefully get us out of this drought. And I remember not only did I love the pick, but even going into the draft, I was like, even if the Bills want to go crazy, right? They just want to like pick someone way off, right? Like maybe everything you've been hearing that it's either Von Miller or Marcel Darius, all this crap is all smoke, right? They're going to go crazy. I mean, they would have most likely then say, let's go with Julio Jones or AJ Green. I was not going to complain with that. Me as a football fan and AJ Green torched ASU just as a college note twice. And I was like, oh my God, this AJ Green guy, this AJ Green guy is insane. And he's going to be a stud at the next level. Julio Jones at Bama, same thing. I mean, that's how crazy this draft was. So with my first pick in this, I think I would be doing myself injustice if I did not take Marcel Darius in the 2011 draft at third overall. I love that pick. Marcel Darius leading up to that draft was, to me, read as like the safest player in the draft. There's no way he busts. Von Miller had some bust factor to him. I, if I remember correctly, it was like, man, he's a great athlete, but you know, has he put it all together? And obviously looking at his career, it's hilarious to think that now. But the thing I remember most about the 2011 draft, and you're right, it was a fascinating draft, but you remember the, the series that John Gruden would do on ESPN where he'd sit with the quarterbacks in the quarterback room and make them go through different playbooks and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. I mean, to me, so to, that was the first year that I really got into that series. I remember watching Cam Newton, Jake Locker. Um, I don't think I saw Christian. Oh, Blaine Gabbert was the other one I saw. And I'm just like, man, I want one of these quarterbacks. And I remember thinking that 2011, maybe a little bit in 2010, I remember thinking that like Colt McCoy and Jimmy Clausen would be kind of cool. But 2011 kind of reminds me of like the first draft where it's like, okay, we know Lossman stinks. We can finally give up on Trent Edwards being the guy. Ryan Fitzpatrick took his job. But nobody was believing at that point that Ryan Fitzpatrick was the guy. He didn't really take off until 
middle of 2011. And then by the end of 2011, it was like, oh God, no, he's not the guy. But going into that draft, it was to me the first time where I feel like as a collective fan base, we all kind of recognize like none of this really matters until we hit on the quarterback. So as cool as Darius or AJ Green or Patrick Peterson or Julio Jones are, shouldn't we maybe be rolling the dice on a Cam Newton? If he falls to us, he's not going to, but what about a Jake locker? What about a Blaine Gabbert? And that's, that's what I remember most about is listening to WGR. And it's like, do you take Jake locker at three? And then I remember the frustrations on WGR. Cause I remember Jeremy white, even saying like people say, well, you can't take him that high. And he's like, you're picking third. You're not going to get him in the top of the second round. So it's either you accept the fact that the guy you want is taken at three or you just let him go. And um, I remember the story from that draft was the Bills coveted Christian Ponder and they were convinced they were going to get him at the top of the second round. And obviously the Vikings had other plans. They took him at 12th overall. That's kind of a bullet dodged. Crazy. Yeah, I'm with you. When you look back on like fascinating drafts, and to me, like what the Bills did in that draft, like looking back on it now, is just kind of boring. Like they took an, a pretty good player, but really not like a stalwart from that draft. But that draft in general has so many big name players. Like even in the back half of it, like Cameron Jordan, Jimmy Smith. Um, that was the J.J. Watt draft too, right? Yes, Pick number was. 11. So J.J. Watt goes in between Blaine Gabbard and Christian Ponder. Just amazing. Ryan Kerrigan was there too. It, so it, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And that was, uh, that was a great pick that, and you know, Darius was a good player, not great. And, you know, had some maturity issues that probably led to him getting out of Buffalo and eventually out of the league. Yeah. I, I just couldn't do it. It, it was almost like not the pick that makes it the number one pick. It's the draft of the pick that makes it the pick, to be honest. It, it was just, that was probably my most excited I've ever been for a draft. And it's funny because we were third overall and we sucked the year before, but it was just, there were so many good, honestly, my, my personal favorite was AJ green. Obviously I talked about it earlier, but I, I loved Von Miller personally as well. I thought Marcel Darius was a stud in himself. As you said, I agree with that. I viewed him as a very safe option, probably the safest option in the draft. It was just a fun draft. I, I had to take it there. But now, oh, you know what, though? I want to I want to circle it back because we talk about what we're going to do on draft night. And I want to say this was the first draft where it was split, where day one was just on one day. And then the next day was day two and day three. I'm almost positive that's the case. I could be wrong on that. Maybe it was the second one. But I remember going into day two thinking we have to get Ryan Mallett. We have to get Ryan Mallett. And like there were good quarterbacks that went in the second round, Colin Kaepernick, Andy Dalton. But I was, Bills were kind of tied to Ryan Mallett. And he was another one of those guys in that draft series. He actually got tired during his workout that Gruden put up through that should have been a red flag. It's like, this is a workout for TV. Probably should be getting tired. But yeah, the Bills didn't get Ryan Mallett. The Patriots got him. And I was like, oh my God, they took our future franchise quarterback. And turns out they didn't. But Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. It, it started in 2010 when they went to the three-day format. But ah, okay. Close enough. Sense. Close, close enough. Um, yeah, so all that about the 2011 draft, I'm going to pull it back a little bit more. And this is my personal favorite pick, and I know you've talked about this pick as well, but I just this is a personal little favorite of mine um, because it, it holds a close, special place in my heart as a child. 
Um, and it is with the 23rd overall pick in the 2003 draft. We acquired this pick from Atlanta, of course, and we went up and drafted Willis McGahee. And the reason I picked this and the reason it holds a very close place to my heart is this is right around the point in time in my childhood where I was really getting into college football. I was really like, honestly, there was a weird era in my life where college football was just as much as NFL. And it, it, it just has its different place now. Like I don't put either above the other when it comes to comparing them. Now, I think it's silly when people actually try to do that argument. I think it's ridiculous. They're just two different, completely different products. But when I was a kid, I remember watching this team in the early 2000s in the U. And I was like, man, this team is awesome. It was just, it was such a cool team to watch. And there was that one guy, Willis McGahee, who's just shredding it up. I mean, among all the other weapons that they had, and it was just crazy. Now we go into the 2003 draft. Obviously, Willis McGahee gets the knee injury in the uh, national championship game. Me personally, as a kid, you know, I, it was disgusting to watch as a kid. Let me just put that out there too. Oh, it's but, disgusting to watch as an adult. Don't watch the highlight. <laughs> like I, I was actually heartbroken. I remember shedding a tear. I also hated Ohio state. So just add that to the mix. I already hated Ohio state. And then they did that to Willis McGahee, who honestly, like as a kid, I would probably put him in my top three favorite college players pre let's say 2008. Cause that's probably eh, 2006. We'll say high school era. So, Anyways, I was I was upset. So now we get to the draft and obviously we had just acquired Bledsoe from the year before. The offense looked great. Um, we did trade away Peerless Price, but Travis Henry's coming off a Pro Bowl year. I know you've pointed this out before. In no world am I thinking as a kid we're drafting Willis McGahee. I don't think that's happening. So all of a sudden, I remember as a kid, because I didn't follow too much at this point in time. I wasn't like listening to insiders. I mean, this is 2003. I was born in 92. Let's be honest. It's not like I'm glued to the radio at 11 years old, 10 years old, technically at this time. But I remember when it was announced that we drafted Willis McGahee, I ran around the house. I was that excited. My fa- One of my favorite players to watch in college was about to be playing in the NFL in my backyard. It was one of like the highlights of my childhood when it comes to just like the NFL and just being excited about the bills, you know, and everything about my professional sports teams and my fandoms. Like I remember being like, I told my mother literally that night that I wanted a Willis McGee Jersey. I don't know where that thing ended up to be honest. <laughs> I, I remember being so excited when we got it in the preseason <laughs> of that year. I don't know where that Jersey ended up and stuff. Obviously it would be way too small for me now, but it was it is my personal favorite childhood memory of the draft like that was that was the first pick that i honestly can remember just being overjoyed with it happening and just being so ecstatic and elated and just it was everything and ironically enough it led me into my favorite pick of all time the year later not for the bills in 2004 but my you know that was my favorite college player of all time who ended up on my favorite team world well, at the time, my favorite team. Um, Are you going to turn this into a Cardinals podcast? No, again? no, 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 no. Backing it up here. Backing it up. Uh, so, but yeah, I I couldn't not take this because it, it just, 
it, it just warms my heart. I, I literally, I'm, I'm getting almost teary eyed just thinking about when we took Willis McGee and how happy I was. Like, I thought it was going to be everything. I thought he was going to, I was like praying that his knee would be okay. His leg would be fine. And he would just lead us to the promised land. I didn't care that Travis Henry was here and had a good year and all that crap. Like I would, did not care. My, one of my favorite players was about to be playing in Orchard Park every Sunday. Well, every other Sunday, if you want to call it that. And just was so, so happy. So with my second pick, I have to take Willis McGahee from the 2003 draft. Well, I'm glad you took it because it needs to be on this list. And it wasn't going to make it for me because unfortunately, if I'm honest with myself, I wasn't excited about it that day. I did not. I was surprised. I was watching Empire Sports Network with Howard Simon back then. Oh, classic. Yeah. And um, it, it just, to me, we desperately needed an edge rusher. There was still a first round prospect there by the name of Chris Kelsey sitting there and the draft had fallen in a way where some of the guys that I had targeted, like Jerome McDougal, Michael Haynes, guys that didn't end up working out by the way, had gone off the board, but Kelsey was still sitting there and it's like, well, there's a position we need. And the bills took a player who one wasn't going to help them that year. And two, Um, was it a position that they already had a really strong player at? And this was an off season that the bills really had gone for it. They had brought in Takeo spikes. They brought in Sam Adams. They eventually would bring in lawyer Malloy, but that was after the draft. So my mindset was this was super bowl. This was a team that could have competed for a super bowl at the time. And I thought the McGahee pick was disappointing, but you know, hearing other people's stories from it who are more connected, it, it definitely, I think I'm in the minority on that. I think a lot of people are more excited about it than me. I'm going to move on to my second pick and it is going to be one that clearly didn't work out, but 2013, the bills trade back from eight to 16 and take EJ manual. And why is this on my list? I kind of alluded to it when we were talking about the 2011 draft with Marcel Darius. To me, that was like the first of None of this matters unless you take a quarterback. None of this matters unless you take a quarterback. 2013 rolled around and Buddy Nix, of course, showed his hand. We'd we'd learned that Fitzpatrick wasn't the guy. And Buddy Nix got caught on that call with the Tampa Bay GM where they both got scammed. And he basically admitted that he was going to take a quarterback. And Fitz was going to only be a backup for them. And But the problem is, and we knew this at the time, the 2013 draft in a lot of ways, similar to the 2022 draft, did not have a high-end quarterback. It was a bunch of prospects that were, eh, I guess you can kind of see why you'd like this guy, but he feels more like a mid-round pick than a first-round pick. And there'd be days where you'd talk yourself into Matt Barkley because he was the shiny quarterback at USC. Or you talk yourself into Mike Glennon because he has the cannon for an arm. Or Geno Smith, he couldn't beat the Bills coach, Doug Marone, when he was at Syracuse, but Geno Smith seemed to have the best skill set. And then, you know, EJ Manuel, we talked about it where Chris Brown came on in WGR before the draft and kind of alluded to the Bills' interest in Manuel. And then sure enough, the Bills took EJ Manuel. And I was just so excited because I didn't necessarily believe in the player, but I just, I didn't want to see another cornerback or running back or offensive tackle. I was in such a bitter place with the Bills where it's like, I don't care if you strike out on quarterback, I need you to swing the bat. Just swing the bat. That's the only way we're going to get out of this. And to me, it was just nice to see them go up to the plate and swing. And boy, did they strike out. But 
at that time on that day, I was like, I'm just glad they took a swing because you take an offensive tackle or a linebacker here that doesn't even move the meter if Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback. So I was very excited. I don't remember thinking that, you know, they had any kind of like generational player, but I was just open to the idea that we finally got to see what was behind door number three because door number one and door number two of Ryan Fitzpatrick were not going to cut it. So EJ Manuel is my second pick off the board. Yeah, it, it makes sense. I think you bringing up like at least they swung the bat. I think that's a great point to bring up with that. That's kind of what it, it was on my list. It was low down the list. I don't think I would have ended up picking it unless you did or you know, unless you took other picks here. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was it's. 2013, you know, what is it like 2010 to 2014, you basically can chalk up as like a real low of the drought era, right? I mean, it's what was positive in that time? Not much. So EJ Manuel in 2013 kind of like fits the era and you were just like happy that they're trying, right? You you don't even care. uh, You know, you're just like, I don't care that it's a reach. I really don't. Like, at least you tried. I will say personally, I was really upset that we traded down. And then what actually got picked at our pick was Tavon Austin because <laughs> it was the greatest highlight tape ever. Yeah. And you're just like, how the hell did we just trade this away? Obviously, we didn't trade away Tavon Austin. We traded the pick away for Tavon Austin. But still, that that always sits with me really funny because, I mean, I loved, I mean, college. Again, I just talked about it with McGahee and stuff like college, even in 2013, still to this day, I love college. And Tavon Austin was just I mean, he was pure entertainment. I I don't care. I mean, I do care that we had Kevin Cobb and Tavares Jackson at that point. You know, we had Fitzpatrick. We had seen what we gotten with that, and it was nothing special. I mean, you wanted a quarterback in here who's going to be thrown at Tavon Austin, but I don't care. Have Tavon Austin take the snap and just run around. (laughs) I was like, do something to get this guy. And we traded back. At the end, you know, it is what it is, but I think it's a great pick. I think that's a great value pick for your second one. Yeah, and to me, it was just about swinging the bat, so I'm happy with that. I'm going to make my third one fairly quick because we are getting rapidly close to three hours here, but um, my third one is going to be kind of cheating. 2002, we take Mike Williams with the third overall pick, and the reason why I'm choosing, I'm sorry, first, second, fourth overall pick because it was David Carr, Julius Peppers, Joey Harrington, and then Mike Williams. Um, the reason why I was happy we got Mike Williams is because all day long, the rumor was the bills were hot after Drew Bledsoe and it wasn't until Joey Harrington and David Carr both fell off the board that I didn't, I believed then that we were going to get Drew Bledsoe. I really think the bills would have taken Joey Harrington had he fallen to them. So really my excitement level was when Joey Harrington went three to the lions and then Mike Williams felt like a can't miss prospect. Listen to me, Mike Williams, a can't miss prospect. Ooh, he missed. And then I knew like, man, we're going to get our Drew Bledsoe. So I was excited about that potential. Uh, I'm not going to go into the whole story of like how it started off great. And then he kind of fizzled out. We've talked about it on other shows, but just for that day to, to know that we got what was supposed to be the best tackle in the draft. And then we traded for an established quarterback after watching Rob Johnson and Alex Van Pelt just kind of like pee on their leg down the field all through 2001. It it was really exciting. Kevin Gilbride was our new offensive coordinator. It really felt like the offense was going in the right direction. And for that year it was. And and that's why that's, that was the most excited I had been on draft day up until that point. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I can understand your reasoning for that one. That's a good. That's a good solid pick to wrap your up your three. I I can I can get behind that. Um, I'd like it short and sweet. You know what? I think I'm going to take you up on that. And um, it's kind of going to be similar to my third pick. I should say it's going to be similar to how you made your second. And it's going to be when I was a kid. And in the 2004 draft, it started great for me as you know the Cardinals fan I was with Larry Fitzgerald. But what I really enjoyed as a Bills fan. And what I am going to make my third pick here is the Bills made an aggressive move, traded up and back into the first round at the 22nd pick and drafted a gunslinger of gunslingers in J.P. Lossman. And as a kid, again, I mean, you got to remember, I'm, I'm only at this point. I'm trying to do the math in my head here. It's uh, 1.05 a.m. Eastern time. Um, I am only 11 years old. Again, my my I'm still maturing when it comes to a football fan. I was just pumped to get a quarterback in here. I was pumped that we're trying something different. I remember thinking, I don't know really who, you know, where Tulane is or who JP Lossman is, even as a, you know, college fan. At that point, college football was kind of you're watching the elite schools and the rest of them aren't really on TV. Um, but then like, you know, you're just in the point where I think YouTube was in beta at this point. And I remember looking up JP Lossman through some sort of Avenue to watch videos. I was like, wow, this guy really throws the ball around. This is going to be really exciting. And then, uh, I, I, it just brought excitement to me that we drafted a young quarterback. We're taking a shot on this. We just got finished with the old regime as it was with the offense. And this is just something new. It's a shiny new toy. Right. And it was just. As it, you drafted Lee Evans 13th, and now you just drafted the quarterback he's going to be throwing to, like, or throwing, throwing to him. And it was just, it was a very fun and exciting time. I mean, that's, you want to talk about going to bed, you know, and obviously this was just the two day draft, uh, what you call it, schedule. But right. I remember thinking to myself, after the first round, we just drafted the quarterback of our future and one of our top weapons of the future. And it was, I, I, how could you not be excited? Unfortunately, they didn't work out how we wanted them to be, of course, among another legendary draft year in 2004. <laughs> but, <laughs> but on the day with the picks, specifically JP Lossman, it was just really exciting to have this new era as it was. And just, I, I remember just being elated thinking about what, Fun it's going to be to watch J.P. Lossman just sling it around all over Orchard Park. I, that draft was interesting because coming off of 2003, Bloodsoe had hit that huge decline. And it was like, oh man, he's out of gas. You got to find somebody. And the Bills were picking 13th. And it really felt like up until really draft day that Rivers might fall to them. Roethlisberger probably not. But then on draft day, obviously Rivers goes way earlier than people expect because he's the guy that Chargers wanted and the only one they'd consider in the Manning trade. And then the Bills take Lee Evans, and you're like, well, you're not going to get the quarterback. So when they traded back up for Lossman, I agree. I was excited. At the time, it did feel like they got the you know the consolation prize of a quarterback, and obviously it's funny to look back on maybe three Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and the Bills take the one that barely lasted in the league for four years. So um, I love the 2004 draft. It's kind of like the first draft that I – dove into like two feet no you know could almost memorize the entire first round went back and watched it the one thing i'll say about jp lossman was you said youtube was in its beta that was back in the day when i recorded the senior bowl on a vhs tape oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> philip rivers had like five <laughs> touchdown passes 
And what I remember from JP Lossman was he was mic'd up that game and he was talking to himself in third person, like, come on, Jay, come on, Jay, come on, Jay. And I was like, maybe he's got some moxie, but yeah, that was a fun big three game. We went really long tonight, so we're going to get out of here. Um, that was our big three draft. Hopefully you like our draft picks. Hopefully we all like the bills draft picks coming up here on Thursday night. And Luca, the next time we're on the air, we will have an entire draft class to dissect and break down. And we will see you guys next time on Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. Be sure to also give us a follow on Twitter at Bill's Chat Pod and spread the word. And appreciate you listening through Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you can find this podcast. Talk to you again next week.